Hello and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer. We're a movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show each episode. You can find more of our work at obsessiveviewer.com and more of our podcasts at obsessiveviewer.com slash podcasts. And while every episode will always be free, if you'd like to support what we do here, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer for tons of bonus audio content, including TV and book reviews, immediate reaction movie reviews, Patreon potpourri episodes, movie commentary tracks, and much more. I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and you can find me on social media and Letterboxd at Obsessive Viewer. And uh, today is actually a very special episode of The Obsessive Viewer. Um, so this week, um, this week, Stranger Things 4 Volume 2 is going to be coming out on Friday, July 1st. And um, what I decided to do is release an episode of the podcast where I talk about each episode of volume one of Stranger Things 4 individually. And this is basically me opening the gates to our Patreon. So what I'm doing, I'm doing this so that you guys can uh, hear my thoughts on this season of Stranger Things ahead of volume two, which comes out on Friday, but also to give you guys a taste of what the Patreon, what the Patreon is. So um, so yeah, so all of these episodes, or this entire episode is a compilation of the Stranger Things um, TV episode reviews that were previously exclusive to Patreon. And the way that that works is that each episode, I watched one episode, I recorded for about 25-30 minutes uh, about each episode, and then threw it on Patreon. And so now you are getting the compilation of all seven recordings in one episode of Obsessive Viewer. And, uh, and yeah, what I'm hoping is that, uh, if you listen to this and like it, you decide to check out Patreon because there is a ton of other content on Patreon, not just the Stranger Things recordings, but I also did episode reviews of Hawkeye, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Foundation, Chapel Waits, and I'm planning on doing Severance and, uh, Miss Marvel and Moon Knight and I almost said Moon Pie and, uh, and just a bunch of stuff. So I'm really excited. I'm really proud of what I have on Patreon and everything. Um, and so I hope that you guys uh, check it out if you haven't already. But um, as a kind of special gift to our listeners, I'm releasing a previously previously Patreon exclusive recordings of my thoughts on Stranger Things uh, season four. And yeah, like I said, each one was recorded immediately after watching the episode. So basically I give my spoiler filled thoughts on each individual episode. So if you want to check the show notes for timestamps of where to bounce around to your favorite episode or least favorite episode and hear my thoughts on it, I have it all in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash OV374. Um, yeah, so, um, 
yeah, that's it for this intro, I guess. Uh, yeah, uh, special thank you to uh, Mike and Dustin over at As Good As It Gets uh, for providing the theme song, which I still love so much for the, our new theme song. So check that out. As Good As It Gets, uh, the song is a little mad sometimes. Theme from the Obsessive Viewer podcast. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and throw it over to my Stranger Things reviews on Patreon. Once again, find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. In addition to these recordings, I also have hours and hours and hours of audio of me talking about Stephen King's short fiction is a big one. So I've been doing The Church of King, where I'm going through Stephen King's short fiction collections, Night Shift, Skeleton Crew have both been done, and now I'm working on Nightmares and Dreamscapes. That's mostly every Sunday, if I can get the timing right and everything, uh, I post it. And so yeah, so check that out, patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Thank you guys so much for listening, and enjoy this special Patreon preview episode with my thoughts on Stranger Things 4, Volume 1. patreon uh thank you so much for supporting us and for listening to us and for um you know supporting us and everything i am matt of course and i'm here uh to share my thoughts on chapter one of stranger things four which is titled the hellfire club and uh i didn't sing along to the opening theme because it's not a very good sing-along kind of uh opening opening theme music or anything but um but yeah, maybe as I progress through these uh, reviews, maybe I'll maybe I'll acclimate to that, or maybe I'll figure something out by the end. But um, as you guys know, um, Stranger Things season four, uh, volume one, was released on May twenty seventh on Netflix. It's seven episodes, and then on July first, I believe. Um, the final two episodes of the season will be released in volume two. And what's crazy is that those two episodes are going to be like, the first one is going to be, I think like an hour and a half. And then the final episode of season four will be like a whopping two and a half hours long, which is nuts to me. So we'll see how that goes and everything. Um, but it's a unique release structure. And then, and then next year, season five will come out and that will be the final season of stranger things. And what I'm doing on Patreon and on the greater, you know, obsessive viewer podcast front, um, I'm going to do something a little bit, not different, but a little bit unique. So what I'm going to do is the weekend or the week before, or the week of the release of Stranger Things season four, volume two. Uh, so the week before July 1st or the week of July 1st, I am going to release these recordings of volume one onto the main obsessive viewer feed and that's going to be kind of a its own obsessive viewer episode and then um, if you want to hear my thoughts on episodes seven or episodes eight and nine that will premiere you know in july 1st join patreon at the two dollar level and become a patron so basically that's that's kind of what i'm doing um so 
Um, if you're listening to this, you know, before it's on the main feed, thank you so much for supporting us on Patreon. And if you're listening to this on the main feed, please consider supporting us on Patreon. (laughs) Um, uh, yeah, so that's, there's tons of content and everything. You have heard my spiel in every episode. So, um, I hope you guys consider it. It's, um, you know, it, it gives money to us and gives us validation and also, um, there's just a ton of stuff there, um, including several, several recordings of me yawning into the microphone. But anyway, so that's my spiel there. So, um, yeah, so let's go ahead and talk about Stranger Things 4. Um, the first episode of the season is called Chapter 1, The Hellfire Club. And what, I, what I'm going to do, obviously, is I'm going to spoil this episode and previous episodes, but I'm not going to spoil anything going forward because I haven't seen anything going forward. So I'm going to be basically sharing my thoughts as I watch the show episode by episode in this review series. So I've watched the first episode and um, I'm going to go ahead and read a plot summary courtesy of IMDb. The plot summary is, still reeling from the events last year, the gang tries to move on with their lives. However, a threat is brewing both on Earth and the Upside Down. So, this episode was a very good um, introductory episode to the season. Um, It's now 1986, and the group is, you know, in high school, and they're in high school they're dealing with some stuff so um uh will byers and his mother and eleven <sighs> guy i'm so sorry jonathan and eleven have all moved to california and um let's see so so yeah and then there's some ch- changes around hawkins most notably not most notably but <laughs> there's several things that are notable um what the kind of head cheerleader um character archetype person who i think this is her only her only appearance her only episode so it's an interesting introduction she is being kind of haunted by monsters from the upside down and we don't know the extent of it we don't know what the deal is we don't know exactly what it is but she is being hunted or was because she is murdered um horrifically <laughs> um in this in this episode so yeah, so we've got that going on. We've got um the group, the main group um you know doing D&D while Lucas has joined the basketball team and wants to be kind of part of the popular crowd and there's this whole conflict of um if he is going to be at the game or play the final stage of their friends uh campaign uh for D&D. Um yeah, and and it's also you know, he wants them to be at the game so that they can, you know, support him and be in the quote unquote cool group, um, and everything. It's a, it's a really interesting kind of, uh, storyline for, for the show to explore because it's, you know, it's, it's that old freaks and geeks thing. It's that old, um, you know, popularity and image, personal image in high school, um, that I think is just really, really solid storytelling in general. Um, whenever it pops up and everything. Um, I, it's something that I really like because it's something that's in my experience, it's pretty relatable. Um, it's a relatable kind of storyline or story structure and everything. Um, and I like it. I enjoy it. So I like seeing that. What I don't necessarily like, or the thing that I don't really 
I don't know. I'm So, okay, I'm going to go ahead and say it. Stranger Things is a very entertaining show. Stranger Things is very, very, very much motivated by nostalgia, the Netflix algorithm, and has this core dependency on other works. <laughs> and it's it's to the point where the show has consistently, throughout all of its seasons, has consistently been verging on the on on being on the verge of being just complete ripoffs a complete ripoff like the first season is firestarter that that is what the first season is that is stephen king's firestarter season two has a little bit of aliens even with the stunt casting of of paul riser um and then season three has some terminator stuff and it seems like this season they're like oh okay well let's do nightmare on elm street let's do that and I kind of hate that I love it. Like I it's it kind of when I think about Stranger Things and I think about um the acclaim that it gets and the fact that it is so so heavily predicated on on using using the nostalgia of the audience or or verging on ripping off other properties so that it can satisfy the nostalgia of the audience or or it can just be something that would look unique to an audience that isn't familiar with the thing that they're ripping off. So I don't know, but it's it's still just so damn good. So I have that kind of thing. It it in my head when I think about Stranger Things, I honestly think of the GIF from Breaking Bad <laughs> uh, with Aaron Paul saying he can't keep getting away with this because that's kind of how I feel about Stranger Things. Like it's it's just. It's not original enough for me, and it's too much built around pop culture. So I've had that struggle. I've had that conflict in my head with Stranger Things, with each season of Stranger Things that's come out. And frankly, I'm kind of glad that it's going to end next year <laughs> so I can kind of be free of this kind of inner conflict that I have have with it. But any in any case, it's not... Again, it's a very entertaining show. I get a lot of enjoyment out of it. I just feel like it's not really all that original and that that kind of bothers me a lot throughout the throughout the run of the show. So, with that kind of out of the way, like I said, they're doing Nightmare on Elm Street in this in this season and I'm kind of on board with it. I'm kind of interested in it. It's it was a connection that I didn't really make until uh, the end of the episode when Chrissy is in Eddie's trailer and she's, you know, taken out by whatever that monster is, um, while Eddie is trying to wake her up and everything like that, like that is Nightmare on Elm Street. That is a Nightmare on Elm Street. That is exactly what it is. And it's, it just, it gets under my skin. It really does. But anyway, um, it was a very effective sequence an effective story uh, storyline and, and surprise in the story I'm not going to argue that like it's very effective and what I'm hoping what I'm really really hoping is that it uses it it isn't just strictly a Nightmare on Elm Street ripoff I'm really hoping that's not the case I have faith that it's not gonna that that's not gonna be the case um 
But what I'm hoping that they do is I'm really, really, really hoping that they tie that into the satanic panic article that Eddie was reading in the cafeteria and laughing about, because that's something from the 80s that I'm I'm very intrigued by or interested in, because it's it's the same thing that people say today with, uh, you know, violence and everything. It like people today are saying you know, video games cause mass shootings, which is not the freaking case. But anyway, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that the satanic panic, uh, you know, part of the story, uh, kind of comes, comes more into focus or becomes a prevalent part of the kind of background of what's, whatever is going on in Hawkins. Um, cause I just, I really like that as a, uh, as a vessel for story in, um, this show. So yeah, so I'm really hopeful that that's, that that's going to be the case. Um, I was a little worried that I wasn't going to be able to kind of get caught up, um, before, um, or, or, or I, or that my mind wouldn't be adjusted to <laughs> like I, that I would have forgotten. I have this weird tick in my brain where anytime, a show is coming back or a show is returning after after a lengthy hiatus after like 10 or 15 minutes after i've seen the the previous season i feel like i have to rewatch the previous season i need to be caught up um it's something that i've tried to work on and worked on getting through like tomorrow i have a ticket to see uh top gun maverick and i have not seen the first top gun in many years and I don't really care to watch it again, but I feel like I have to, to see Maverick. So I don't know. Anyway. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, um, yeah. So I was afraid that I was going to be, um, a little bit lost in the shuffle here, but they do a very solid recap on, on Netflix and everything. And I watched that and it was, it acclimated me well to it. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty okay with like the status of everything. Um, the, the status of everything. It's very, it's very easy to kind of dive right, right back into it. Especially when the central, one of, one of the big character moments involves a character that we don't know. (laughs) A character that is having this weird, not premonition, but this weird vision that's very Freddy, Freddy Krueger-esque. So I'm curious how that's going to come into play throughout the rest of the season and what how that's going to evolve. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Billy's kind of possession in season three. Um, and maybe that is a little bit redundant for them to do this kind of thing again, although it's not a possession thing, although it is very visually like a, uh, like a, like a possession, like a demonic possession, which is also why I hope the satanic panic kind of plot line kind of really comes into play and becomes a big part of the, the story this season, because, because of the way that she's levitating in the trailer and the way that her bones crack and everything, it just felt very much like a, like a, like a exorcist, um, uh, possession kind of movie, um, that kind of motif. So I'm very curious about that, but, um, elsewhere, I do want to talk about the prologue or the opening sequence. Um, it it was intense. It was interesting. Um, it takes place in 1979. We see Papa um, Matthew Modine returning, and he goes and and is uh, working with Ten uh, when a massacre breaks out in um, in Hawkins Laboratories. 
And, uh, and yeah, it looks like 11 is the culprit of that. And I'm curious how that's going to come together. I'm curious how that's going to tie together the title for episode seven of this volume, uh, is implies that it's going to pay, pay this off in, uh, in quite a bit, in quite a big way. So, um, pay that off in a, in a big way. So we'll see how that goes. Um, yeah. So California, I, I'm I'm really interested in how the two the very different um you know locations are going to come into play in this season because it it kind of sucks. I'm I'm kind of bummed about it because <laughs> it's just it kind of sucks to have some important characters way on the other side of the country um while everyone else is in Indiana where Hawkins and and all of the upside down stuff is happening. I it just feels like a little bit um gives me a little bit of anxiety because everyone's so far apart and everything um the stuff with Nancy and Jonathan I'm not doesn't really I don't really care honestly <laughs> like like um she is uh I I have forgotten her name already um wow i uh what is her characters i did i just say it um i did yeah nancy nancy and jonathan i did say nancy right anyway so the stuff with nancy and jonathan i don't really care all that much about this long distance thing um i don't really get why they are so um why the relationship seems to be fizzling and everything I, probably because of the long distance, but it's, it's drama that I don't really care that much about. Um, and he's staying behind or he's, he's not going to go visit her. Or she's not going to visit him for spring break or something. I don't know. It's fine. It's, it's whatever. I'm, we'll see how it evolves throughout the, uh, throughout the season, but I'm not that invested in, in their relationship or anything in her, uh, buddy, like journalism buddy, um, is just, doesn't really like, I don't get a good vibe from that. And it just feels like uncomfortable rather than a threat to a central character's relationship or anything like that. It just feels a little off kilter and not very interesting to me. Um, so, and, and I'm also curious how, the spring break angle is going to happen. I don't know or how, how it's going to be because I don't know how much of the show is going to take place or how much of the season is going to take place with Mike in, in California with L. I don't know how all that's going to work out or whatever. Um, yeah. So really there wasn't a lot of meat on this episode all that much, except for the ending and the introduction of Eddie. Let's talk about Eddie. Um, what a fun, energetic character. <laughs> um, he is the kind of new, like the leader of the D&D group that they're a part of, the Hellfire Club. And he also deals some drugs on the side. And Chrissy tries to get drugs from him um, because she's been having these horrible visions and everything that leads to um a, a nice rendezvous in the park where they where they meet up. And he is he's actually very charming and charismatic. Um. And then they go back to his trailer to get the to get uh, the harder drugs, and uh, that's when all hell breaks loose and uh, she dies, which I'm very curious how that's going to be um, how that's going to be um, 
God, how, how that's going to be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> addressed. There we go. Um, how that's going to be addressed in, in the next episode and, and going forward and everything. I'm very curious how that's going to play out. Um, but yeah, I, I think that he's a very charismatic character and I'm very interested to see where his character goes throughout the season. Um, there was not enough, um, Joe Carey and, uh, or Joe Carey, Joe Carey. I don't know, but, um, him and Maya Hawk, there wasn't enough of them. I really loved their pairing in season three and they're fantastic in the show. They're absolutely fantastic. Um, there wasn't enough of them there. We learned that, um, Robin is crushing on this girl and band that she, that she plays with. And I, I like, I appreciate that she is, she's afraid to ask her out. She's afraid to share her feelings and everything, because as she says, um, it's different for, it's different for, um, Steve because Steve asks out a girl and he gets rejected and nothing happens. Um, his ego gets bruised for a little bit, but for the most part, nothing happens. But if she asks a girl out and asks the wrong girl out, not only is she, you know, um, like, uh, not only is her ego going to be bruised, but like she will, she, if she asks out the wrong girl, she will become the town pariah and all, all of that stuff. So I really like that they're kind of using that, like they're not shying away from, you know, the weirdness, not weirdness, but the, um, lack of progressive attitudes toward homosexual relationships in the eighties. I'll say that much, I guess. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that they're doing that in, in a constructive way or a way that doesn't feel forced or anything. Um, yeah. Also the pep rally, um, this is a complete non sequitur, but the pep rally was a little like kind of fun and silly. Um, the kind of captain of the basketball team giving that weird, just very, uh, uh, <laughs> like, like really just uh, sappy, um, speech. <laughs> like, it's like that came from a completely different show. Like, and I, and I think it kind of helped that I've been watching Friday Night Lights just in my free time, just rewatching it. Um, so like having a character, like grab the microphone and, uh, which was a, sir, uh, which, which was a sure SM 58, by the way. Um, and saying like, well, we're doing this for, um, we're doing this for all the people that we lost in the fire and at the mall and everything. It just felt like very performative and, and I don't know, it was, it was a really interesting kind of, uh, um, piece of, I guess, comedy, um, <laughs> in the show. I thought that was interesting. Um, I thought that was interesting enough. So another thing kind of bouncing around back or bouncing around again. Um, so Max seeing, Eddie and uh, Chrissy go into the trailer. I'm curious how that's going to factor in as well, because Max has been having a rough go of it because, you know, her brother died and everything, and she's been kind of dealing with that and the post-traumatic stress of all of that stuff. Um, and I'm I'm curious and I'm nervous for that character because I, I enjoy her a lot and I'm, I'm, I'm nervous to see what route she takes. I would hope that they don't like do anything too drastic with the character or kill her off or anything like that because, you know, she's grieving, she's mourning the loss of her brother. So I feel like that would be a little, um, mean for them to do anything too horrific to her. Um, but it seems like this show, this season is really taking 
taking uh it's taking uh, taking special attention or paying special attention to the horror side of of the story rather than you know the drama or the science fiction aspects of it so we'll see what happens there um let's see and i also had another um eh, yeah i don't know where, where i was going with that but i'm struggling to think of other um plot lines and everything like i said this is a this is kind of a big episode that really just serves to establish a lot of things or reestablish a lot of characters that's what i was going to go for uh reestablish characters catch up with them really catch up with the characters and introduce a couple other ones and then kill them off in a weird vision thing but uh l11 she is in california she's going to school with will and she's getting bullied and there was a really like that scene where she like i felt really bad for her during her little presentation thing because that's just i mean that is a deep fear of mine that was that was a deep fear of mine in in uh in high school because i would be terrified of public speaking and here i have podcasts but anyway um i would be terrified of public speaking and everything so that you know would have made me just mortified so i felt for i felt for her in that moment but the relentless bullying and everything is just really just another avenue that just it it hurts me to see that like it it it's a bummer it's such a bummer and it's horrible um but when 11 tries to use her power and she can't do it because she can't she stopped i can't remember the specifics but she can't use her power anymore for for now um i felt for her too like that felt really just sad and um like that lack of power is really good i will say um will byers man i he uh the guy playing him i i can't remember the actor's name who plays will um yeah it's uh oh god uh noah schnapp he's doing his best i kind of feel like he has been kind of a weak link throughout the show but i think he he did okay i like that it's a it's kind of a strange pairing to have him kind of be 11's only like real confidant in California. Um, but it, it works, but he's just always been kind of a little bit of an unassuming character. And they're, I think they're really building up to the reveal that he's, that he's gay, which is going to be an interesting part of the story, I guess. Um, but I'm curious how that's, uh, how that's going to be done and everything if it is or maybe they're kind of i don't know who who cares it's it's whatever whatever it ends up being is what it ends up being um it's not really that big of a factor so let's see what else uh lucas does the uh the winning shot of the of the championship game in basketball cross-cutting with shots of the kids playing D D and finishing their campaign and doing a big thing Honestly, that was fine. That was okay. That was a little a little derivative, which is funny because I've I I walked on eggshells talking about how much the show is completely derivative of so many things consistently every season. But in this case, this just felt like a cliched thing like, "Oh, okay, a character is playing basketball and a, and characters are playing D&D. Let's show them together so that we can kind of highlight how similar the passions are or how um similar it is in terms of a competition and everything and i will say that even though i didn't really take to that i thought that it was kind of just low-hanging fruit 
and everything. I did appreciate the huddle aspect of it when, um, when the, when the D and D group got kind of get into a huddle to figure out if they, um, want to really take on the, the evil, whatever, um, from the game. Um, I liked that because it did give it that visual flair of looking like a basketball team and looking like a sports team and everything. That's all well and good. That's fine. That's, that's enjoyable. That's, that's fine. I just think that the pairing together or, or cross-cutting between the two things kind of screams as screams, screams at, uh, screams stereotype to me. Like, it seems like, oh, these, these two things are different, but look how similar they are. Um, it just felt a little bit just antiquated, not very interesting or anything. I don't know. It just felt like a, like a lazy kind of cliched, um, point to make, but I don't know. Your mileage may vary. I, I'm not sure. So, um, I don't think I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting several things, but I'm going to kind of start to wrap this up a little bit, but I do want to talk about the, the ending and this new new question mark monster i think i don't remember if we've seen this type of monster before but it is literally going into the psyche of characters or at least one character so far and using that to you know get them to i guess lower their defenses or let them in more and then murdering them like that death of the death of chrissy was really interesting because of the concept and everything. And I can't remember exactly what he said, but something like your suffering is over and all that. I don't know what the end game is. I don't know what the purpose of that is. I don't know necessarily how I feel about, <laughs> about the monster being able to speak English. Like that feels a little bit weird and unlike any, any other monster from the stranger things universe thus far or from the upside down. But well, no, I guess not because, um, the mind flayer could speak at least through Billy, if I remember correctly, but this is just like a straight up like, Oh, Hey Chrissy, how's it going? I'm going to murder you now. But, uh, yeah, cool. Like it just felt a little bit, I don't know. It just, it just didn't really, didn't really sit that well with me. But like I said, that sequence was really cool. That was a really interesting, uh, death scene. I'm curious to see how it's going to go because I did say that, okay, it's kind of similar to, Billy in Stranger Things 3 and how he was kind of possessed and then throughout the season he does all of these things as as a person possessed and everything. Here we have the death of a character right in front of the eyes of another character. Like it's not this secretive thing that's going to be dragged out for for episodes. It's not going to be this thing where it's like, "Oh, now we're going to see Chrissy and she's possessed by this monster, so she's going to be doing all these things and then in episode 3 or 4 we're going to get, you know, everyone realizing like, oh, oh, Chrissy is compromised or whatever. It's not like that because we have her death immediately at this, at the end of this episode and being witnessed by a character is really, really interesting. And, um, I'm hopeful that that means that they're going to do a, uh, a solid, a solid, solid, uh, <laughs> Uh, do a solid job of telling the story and everything, even though it is going to be derivative of a nightmare on Elm street. I can tell it's just, that's, that's a bummer. That's just too bad, but we'll see. Hopefully it's good. Um, I'm just, I mean, four seasons into the show, I'm just sick of, you know, them dressing up iconic things. It's the same thing I had, uh, the same problem I had with like the, and why I only watched the first season of American horror story, because 
each episode kind of was built around an iconic piece of horror storytelling and everything, and it just got really tiresome, um, and it felt unoriginal and everything. So, I don't know, but that's neither here nor there. Um, overall thoughts on the Hellfire Club, I'm intrigued. I think it's a very good... Um, a very good introductory episode. I'm curious, despite my better judgment about the connections to a nightmare on Elm street and what the nature of this monster is and what the main purpose is and everything. Also, I did forget to mention that Joyce received a doll in the mail from Russia and she had in inside. It was a note that saying that saying that hoppers alive like that. Curious to see how that's going to play out and everything. Um, it really is an expansive story because we've got characters in California. We've got a character in Russia. We've got uh, characters in Hawkins. It's going to be an interesting, um, an interesting season because hopefully, hopefully that all convalesces and, and they join together sooner rather than later. So I don't know. Um, but I think that'll just about do it for this episode. Let me know what you thought about the premiere of stranger things Four. And again, if you are listening to this in the future and you are listening to this in preparation for uh, volume two and you're listening to it on the main feed on obsessiveviewer.com, please consider going to Patreon, going to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron so that you can get my reviews of the last two episodes when they come out and tons of other content. So check that out, patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Um, yeah, so I'll be back soon with chapter two. Until then, thank you guys so much for listening and thank you for supporting us and I'll see you in the next review. Hello, Patreon. Uh, thank you so much for supporting us and for listening to us and for giving us money and everything. It's incredibly appreciated and... Um, I can't believe that people actually do that. But anyway, um, thank you guys for supporting us. I am back with my next installment of my Stranger Things Season 4 coverage. And this is covering Episode 2, titled Vecna's Curse. And um, it's it's this is coming a little bit later than um, what I anticipated it to be. I just I've had kind of a busy week and everything. So I haven't had a chance to really watch Stranger Things uh, properly. So I'm I watched this um, Friday night, uh, the Friday after it was released. So I'm a week behind on uh, watching it, where everyone has already binged it and everything. So I'm I'm gonna try to catch up and get all of these done and everything before. Well, I mean, in a in a reasonable amount of time, because my plan is still to post it as post all of the episodes, all of the reviews together in one big obsessive viewer episode in the lead up to the last two episodes that are coming out July 1st. But anyway, now it's June 3rd. It's June 4th, I think. Um, <laughs> it's after midnight. It's 1230 a.m. And I I just I'm I was just so amped to record my thoughts on episode two because my god this episode just really really I wouldn't say necessarily blew the doors open but it really makes it's it's a very strong second episode 
Um, I remember, I mean, it's been a week, but I, I enjoyed the first episode. I thought that it was, um, I think I said that it, it busts the storyline pretty wide open because we have, obviously we have Hopper and, and Russia, but we also have Joyce and several of the kids in California and then Mike, well, temper and well, not now, but because Mike is in California, but we have, you know, um, Oh my God, why can't I think of her name? <laughs> uh, Natalia Dyer, um, in Hawkins and, and, uh, well, yeah, everyone in Hawkins, Dustin, Lucas, all that. Um, so, uh, we have all of them in, in, in Hawkins and we have a murder, <laughs> like the last episode, the, the way the, the first episode ended was Nancy. Nancy's her name. Why can't I think of her name? But anyway, um, so the way that first episode ended, it ended on such a banger of a note that to bring us into episode two, we needed something to kind of sustain that energy level. And we got it pretty well throughout this episode. Um, I'm really not feeling I'm the, the lengths of the episodes are, are not necessarily a stumbling block yet. Um, but I'll get to that in a bit, but basically this second episode really is, is starting to come together a little bit. The story, the main, the whole story and everything is coming together a little bit clearer. Um, we, that, that kind of ending moment of the episode where Dustin and Eddie and the group kind of come to the conclusion that, oh, it's Vecna's curse. It's, it's like a, it's like Vecna's curse. And Vecna is a, uh, a, a dark wizard and he's overpowered and all this stuff. And then we see, you know, Vecna, whatever the monster's name is going to be, it's probably still Vecna, um, kind of collecting souls and collecting energy and everything, um, in a weird, like, thing where like there's tentacles that are attaching to him that's giving him uh, I assume like powering him like a battery and then we see that he's um in what seems to be the upside down version of a dilapidated house which um according to the promotional materials and everything I believe that that's the Creel house um, cause we get a little bit of detail about Victor Creel, which I'll talk about in a bit, but I want to talk first about Hopper and we get some detail about, um, what happened to him in the aftermath of the finale last year or last season. Um, and it's fine. That's probably, to be honest, the Russian aspect, the Russia aspect, the, um, Hopper aspect of it all is, uh, is not my favorite part of the show so far. <laughs> like it's very much it's on the back burner. And I think that that's where it's spreading its subplots a little too thin. Um, because we have Joyce and Murray, um, trying to get Hopper back. We've got L and Mike and, uh, and will, uh, dealing with their teen angst and teen drama and everything. And then we also have, um, Nancy, uh, investigating the murders and everything. Then we have Dustin and Steve and, and, uh, I almost called her Maya, uh, Robin, uh, played by Maya Hawk, um, and Eddie and all that 
dealing with all of that. And then we also have Lucas with his new friends uh, who are convinced that Eddie is a um, is a devil worshiper who murdered Chrissy. So so there's a lot going on. There is a ton of stuff here. And then we now also got the backstory of Victor Creel, who murdered his family and he was locked away. And um, basically the shortcut version of that is that He's like Hawkins's version of Michael Myers. And so I'm going to try my best to go through as many of these subplots as I can. But I will say that the Russia aspect, the flashbacks, were not that interesting because I did not feel like it landed in any significant way to advance the story. Um, all we really learned through that is that he's imprisoned in Russia and that a guard is offering to uh, release him or save him um, in exchange for $40,000. There's not enough there to really advance that storyline because we already knew that he was in Russia. We knew that he survived. We saw the how of it and that was fine. Like it was, there's no, there's no way to really make that engaging when we already know that he's alive and everything and he's, he's incarcerated in Russia um, Brett Gelman as Murray is, I, I love that guy. I think he is, he has such a fun energy, but even in this episode, I kind of felt like his, his whole like shtick was a little bit underserved or it was, it was like the show was kind of relying on his comedic timing in order to, um, kind of advance the story a little bit and, or to, or to keep us engaged with with a so, sort of lackluster subplot and that that's kind of a bummer <laughs> that's kind of a bummer to see because i really like brett gilman and when the story works really well and he's accentuating that story with his humor and his kind of offbeat kind of kooky attitude and everything that's that works like gangbusters but here it just it felt a little uneven and and not to my liking um so i'm curious how that's all gonna play out and everything and I'm really hoping that things come together um, <laughs> because, like I said, there is a lot of disparate plot lines uh, to kind of deal with. So next, let's go. Oh, and I also forgot to mention the whole Jonathan and Nancy thing um, as well. So so that's even more plot lines and everything. So let me move on to... Um, let let me move on to the California aspect of it. Let's first talk about Jonathan and Argyle, who Argyle, like I saw a tweet from, I think it was Alan Sepinwall who said, um, like did a poll that was like, do you, when you're watching Stranger Things season four, did you automatically assume that Argyle was named in, in an homage to John McClane's limo driver and Die Hard being Argyle? And like, I felt like that that's a foregone conclusion. Like that's that's pretty obvious. Like there's I don't think that there's a way that he's not named after him. That actor by the way who plays Argyle in the show, um he was in um oh god, a lot of stuff. Like he's been in a lot of stuff recently. Um and some Netflix stuff as well. But I he's he's fine. He kind of seems like he's very much typecast. Uh, and so I, I don't know, but it's, it's still a joy to, uh, to see him. He was in Booksmart. Um, 
it's still it's still fun to see him pop up and everything but he just has that quintessential stoner vibe um throughout throughout like like that's his shtick and i don't know i mean it's fine it's fine but anyway we learn that and i can't remember if we really learned this last in the last episode or not but we learn that jonathan has been accepted to the i guess community college that um that argyle is going to and this kind of revealed that like he's being aloof and distant toward nancy because he doesn't want to go or he he feels that he doesn't want to go to her college where she wants to go maybe all this was all covered in the last episode but anyway um he doesn't want to go follow her to college he wants to stay in college here where he's close with his family and everything and i liked argyle's like response to that saying that oh so you're lying to her like what's what's the game plan like you're being an ass and he like it comes down to him wanting to basically slowly break up with her because he feels like they're on a track to be just like his parents and it's a vicious cycle and everything all that's good the whole stoner aspect for jonathan and um and in argyle is a little it it feels a little bit um a little bit cheap like it's a little bit it's a little bit unearned maybe not unearned but it feels like it's just playing it up for comedy and it just it doesn't i don't know it's a weird vibe i don't i don't really like it um so that's basically all we got for for them but elsewhere in california mike has arrived uh to visit uh l and uh will and it's very clear that um, I, I feel like they're really setting up that Will is kind of secretly in love with Mike. And I find that really interesting. And I would find that more interesting if Noah Schnapp was, had a little bit more to do emotionally. Like he has a good scene, he, a couple of good scenes where he's talking to Mike and explaining that, that L is lying to him and that in explaining like how he's been a third wheel the whole day and everything like that was good. But everything else that he did in this episode was basically just, it's like he was directed to look, look annoyed and look lonesome and longingly at, uh, Mike and 11. And it just, it didn't feel like there was enough, enough emoting there so I don't know if that's a that's you know a criticism of his acting or um the directing or what have you but it just feel or the writing for that matter but it didn't feel like it was um it it didn't feel like they didn't enough with his character in this episode so I'm sure that they'll expand more on it uh throughout the season but I kind of I kind of wish that there was a little bit more there but it is pretty clear that they're setting it up, setting it up that he's, that he's, uh, that he's a closeted homosexual and that he's maybe in love with Mike. And I'm curious how that's going to play out and everything, um, throughout the season and when it'll come to a head and everything. I do think it's interesting because you can also read it as him still being the, like a closeted homosexual and then looking at Mike in 11 in like in that longingly way, like, I believe that like, it's setting it up that he's in love with Mike. That's, that's 
pretty clear that that's what it is. But then another read of it could be that he's just longing to have a connection like like Mike and Eleven have. And like I, I would be good either way, but I'm curious to see um, how the drama and everything will unfold with um, uh, with that if it is a, an unrequited love um, storyline, because Mike has been written throughout the series, at least starting with like ep- like season two or three, as a a very selfish kind of character. Um, here he is lightened up a little bit so far. He's very, like, he's very 11 focused and everything, but he has, he has had a run of, of selfishness throughout the series since, uh, season two, really. So I'm curious to see how that will come to a head whenever, uh, he and Will have like a, a moment, um, presuming that they do, but elsewhere with this, like, aside from that, his relationship with Eleven is really, like, this was a very painful episode. Like, um, not in a, not negatively speaking, but, like, it's a very, it, like, it was a kind of a tough watch because of the empathy and because of the, the just, the cringe factor of it. And I think that that's a really good, um, uh, is really positive, like, sentiment to levy at it for the writing and everything because they captured Eleven and her bullies and everything in such a just heartbreaking way. And again, I, I will, I will say that again, Stranger Things is very much, uh, owes a debt to Stephen King and a lot of eighties things, but I mean, it's Carrie. This is Carrie. This was Carrie in this episode. And, I like, I just, I found it just so heartbreaking and, and terrifying really at the end because, um, it, it creates, like, I feel so terrible for Eleven. Like I feel so much empathy for that character and the, just the kind of tragedy of her wanting to like, like the excitement that she had for, um, for having their day when she's like, uh, yeah, I have the whole day planned out. We're going to do this. We're going to get burritos. We're going to go to, to Rinka Rinka mania and we're going to roller skate and everything. And then, and then the added element of her saying that like, oh, you'll have to meet my friends and Angela. Um, and like, like all my friends here and I'm having such a happy life. And it's, it's so painful because you don't, that's she's not lying to him out of any anything malicious or anything anything selfish on her end she just wants to put up a front that she's having a happy life and everything when deep down she's really not um and she doesn't want him to be concerned about her and i just think that that's i think that the character work in that is really really good i think that there's some really good character work there and Millie Bobby Brown is, is phenomenal in this. Like she's, she's been, she's been phenomenal, um, in these two episodes and the, in the series as a whole. So when she is confronted or when, when the bullies come to the, to the roller rink and she tries to maintain that, that front. And then when we get the kind of carry thing, the carry, um, situation and everything where she is 
she's ridiculed she is pointed at laughed at and she's she has her milkshake thrown on her in front of everyone in front of mike that is mortifying that is mortifying and and like just really really sad and then so so like the show has created this intense empathy and we've had hints of you know things in her past at hawkins labs where you know it's it's heinous horrific things that she's done uh, a horrific thing that she's done presumably and we get a quick flashback of that with matthew modine saying like what have you done because we're kind of seeing this very like this this kid who previously had very dangerous like superpowers and uh, abilities now without that and with the added element of hormones and emotions and teenage angst and everything she now feels underpowered without her powers and everything so her it's it's painted as sort of like maybe an empowering moment for a brief second but then she grabs someone's skate and then hits her in the face and it's so it's so it was so jarring for me because it it's bloody it's violent it's it's horrifying and the whole time like the whole episode i'm thinking like yeah the, these bullies need to be taken down like several notches they need to be they need to be dealt with and i can't wait for them to be like i i was thinking like oh it would be awesome if she gets her powers back and then she terrifies them and everything and then a part of me was also like, I'm scared because like the emotion of of the bullying and everything is going to cause her to hulk out and have uncontrollable like bursts of her uh, powers. But what the episode does is instead of doing that, it has her do something violent as a normal human being. And I think that that is very, very interesting. Um, and I'm curious to see what the fallout of that is going to be. Um, because they did not shy away from the blood in that. And I thought that that was really, really well done. And it really, it, it's, it scared me for 11 and it scared me for, uh, what's what, whatever's to come, whatever's to come. So, yeah. So elsewhere, let's talk about Hawkins and the fallout of Chrissy Cunningham's death, which I believe speaking of uh character names being references to things um i want to say that um chrissy cunningham has to be a reference to the creator and kind of gatekeeper of the friday the 13th franchise sean s cunningham um i feel like that has to be that has to be a reference but I, I don't know. It could just be, it has to be a reference, I'm sure. But anyway, um, I'm less confident of that than I was of Argyle being a reference to Die Hard. But that's neither here nor there. So we get the fallout of the, like, kind of reveal or the um, the town of Hawkins kind of reeling from the murder of Chrissy Cunningham. And this, again... I, I don't remember if I said this or not, but this, in this episode at least, this show has steered so far into the pure horror genre that it's almost, it's almost, uh, 
it's it's all it's 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 tricky it's it's almost it's almost too much but i still really like it so it's maybe not too much but it like when we see when we see chrissy's wounds and we see her body um when the military guy comes in on the in the uh helicopter and everything like it is it is graphic it is horrific it is oh it's it's intense it's very intense and then like the fallout of this murder is that or this death is we get we get so many characters involved but separate from each other so we get dustin and max and their group hunting uh eddie and i really like that that's that's a big chunk of the episode and we also get a little bit of robin and um steve talking about their their love lives love lives like uh i I will say this when robin was talking about um her crush laughing and how she, she didn't know what to say and she had nothing more to say and everything. And she was freaking out. Like in that moment, I was like, I, I want, I want to see like, maybe not a direct spinoff, but I want to see Maya Hawk get like, like an indie romantic comedy drama movie. Um, because I think she, like she would nail that so, so well. Um, if she hasn't already had something like that, uh, in her filmography, I don't know, but anyway, she's fantastic. And, um, so we get there, there, uh, back and forth about that, about their, their problems with, with relationships and everything. And they go to track down Eddie. I, I like that as it, it's kind of like a lower grade of characters teaming up a little bit. But what I really, really like and respect about that is that at the end, when they're explaining to Eddie what's going on and they're explaining like the curse of Hawkins or, or whatever, it's like in that moment where it's like, okay, this is someone bringing, this is the group bringing someone into the fold. And it's just, it has me really amped and excited for whatever's to come because I really like Eddie as a character and I'm curious to see how, how the story is going to unfold. I'm a little nervous, obviously, because you know, scary, but, and I don't want anything to happen to the characters, but we'll see what happens. I don't know. But, uh, so I, I thought that that was really good and everything. Um, I really like the way that they, they tracked down the drug dealer that, that Eddie was hiding, uh, with because <laughs> they just looked at his family. They looked at, uh, the first name, uh, Rick, I think, and they looked through the family video accounts and looked at the the current rentals or the rental history. I thought that was really fun and clever um, and everything. Also, well, I'll save that for later. But, um, well, let's just move on to Lucas and the basketball team. So I thought that this was a nice callback, I guess, to season one or to really the first episode where... Um, uh, the dude from This Is Us, I think, and uh, and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, uh, Taserface, I think is him. I think he was it was him. But anyway, when he gets uh, it's it's Barry's Burgers or something, Benny's Burgers, I think. Uh, so now we see that we're back there, but it's a it's a um vacant 
building where high schoolers go to drink and party and everything. And I thought that was a really interesting way to bring that, bring that piece of Hawkins back, uh, back into the story. But we get, uh, the kids are all kind of like hungover or they're, or at least Lucas is. And, um, we see that like, they're talking about how, I guess, Jason is the, the guy's name his uh how Chrissy stood him up and everything then they find out that someone died but the thing that I loved I think that that actor is really good because when the cops come and he's talking to them like when he flips when he kind of flips out and he's he's thinking that um he's thinking that someone uh or he's wondering if if uh god if Eddie hurt Chrissy um like the energy he brings to that's really, really good and really, really awesome. And I loved the reaction of the cops because it was just like, oh, yeah, this isn't our guy. We just really messed up his day, basically. But 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 also on that same note, um, the the way that the show is incorporating the satanic panic is so freaking cool i am very much interested in this and very much eager to see how it plays out and everything because i'm i'm so thankful that it wasn't just a a thing that they uh that they paid homage to or that they referenced uh like a cultural reference that they made in the first episode it feels like it's going to be a running thing throughout the season and i am so here for that i'm very much in uh excited to see how that comes into play because that's just a piece of you know history and media sensationalism and fear-mongering in the news and everything that I'm just so interested to see play out um in the show um and see how they how they handle it and everything I'm just very very curious about that um so elsewhere in Hawkins Nancy and her very much doomed partner um, the nerdy guy, I don't remember his name, but, um, but he is done for, <laughs> he like, holy crap, this, so this plot line, um, with Nancy taking him to the trailer park to try to get some, get some tidbits and get some information about what happened that I, I'm, I, Again, this is just a really interesting angle for the whole show uh, for this season in particular because I just found that to be really interesting. And I like I was kind of a little lukewarm on the whole the whole um, the whole like, oh, um, Nancy's a reporter, but she's not taken seriously. And it, that kind of seemed while authentic, it seemed kind of um, a little cartoony or a little bit a little bit melodramatic I get maybe not melodramatic that's not the word I'm looking for but something that it just didn't come across as um as seriously written as it maybe could or should have been so I was on the fence about that and then you throw in the nerdy guy who I'm afraid I can't remember his name um who is kind of trying to to weasel in on uh Nancy and Jonathan's relationship and kind of trying to like he clearly has like feelings for her or something, but she's not having it like that dynamic just didn't work for me in the first episode. 
And even in this episode, when they're in the car, like it just, it doesn't really mesh well with me. But when they go to the trailer park and they see, and, and the cop stops them and she's trying to talk her way into it, which also I really appreciate Natalie, uh, Natalie, uh, Natalie Dyer, Natalie Dyer. Um, I really appreciate her, uh, acting in that Natalia Dyer. Um, I really appreciate her acting in that because it's very, very awkward and it, it rides the line so close to being like poorly acted, but what it achieves is has this, she has this nervous energy that is based on inexperience in what she's doing. And she's trying to be serious. She's trying to be mature about it. And it's coming across as more anxiety and anxious and, and, uh, nervousness than anything. And I think that that's really interesting, interesting performance from her because that's such a kind of fine line there. So really interesting and really interesting performance there. But the scene where the cop is talking to, uh, the nerdy guy and like, you get that full, like, um, dream sequence or, or, um, uh, terror sequence really where, we get like this backstory of this kid being in a car accident and like causing like he, the guilt of him, like causing death or something. It like that kind of hit me, like kind of threw me for a loop and kind of hit, came out of nowhere, but it was really welcomed and interesting and, and horrifying. Um, and then I was like, throughout the episode, I was just kind of like, okay, I hope they are not going to drag this out and have him be that, but no, they just up and killed him in this episode. That was just nuts absolutely nuts um really good stuff but we also get the um backstory of victor creel when uh, nancy is talking to eddie's uncle and i think that that's interesting i'm it's weird because i am kind of predisposed to really like that type of story that type of plot line in horror fiction is usually like again, I'll use this word again, gangbusters for me. It is usually right up my alley, but here it just seems a little bit, I don't know. It does. It doesn't really feel, it feels like a little bit, just not that interesting. Really, <laughs> I mean, when you have three seasons of the upside down and monsters and alternate dimensions and all of this crazy stuff, to then somewhat shoehorn in this backstory of this guy who murdered his family and being like kind of a local like like folklore like legend urban legend for the town it just feels like it's it's it feels like it's just down it feels like it's down on the priority list and it kind of sucks cuz i know who plays victor creel and i'm very excited for that but I'm, I'm ashamed or I'm, I'm bummed that I know. Cause I think that would have been a cool surprise, but anyway, um, and I know that that's the house that the, that the, uh, Vecna's Vecna, whatever is in. So I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it'll, it'll be interesting when, when it comes more into light, but it's competing with this pretty captivating and, and, uh, very tense and scary kind of premise as well. So I'm curious how that'll kind of blend together. Um, what else? I feel like I'm completely missing, uh, maybe an entire plot line, but I can't remember. Um, oh, oh, I do have a point to make, or I do have a thing to, uh, to say. So 
Um, I had mentioned in the last episode that it was very much that that episode was very much evocative of a nightmare on Elm street. And I, it's, it's funny because, um, my girlfriend, Jess, she watched the season before me. Like she, like she's, she, she's finished the season. She's done with the entire season. And she had mentioned to me that the, there are elements of the season that reminded her of a movie that came out last year, um, or a couple of movies, uh, that came out last year that were horror that she knows that we, that she and I both saw, we did not see together. And, like, I've been racking my brain thinking, like, what is she talking, like, what, I I can't even think of any, like, horror movies, and then, um, and then suddenly, I just, like, it dawned on me, like, partway through this episode, I was like, oh, Fear Street, the Fear Street trilogy from Netflix, which is interesting, because Sadie Sink is in that as well, but I totally get that, and I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of curious, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna reserve as much judgment as I can, until I see more, but it does feel a little bit, if not derivative, it does feel a little bit too close to it because now we're saying that like, we're, we're kind of depicting Hawkins as a cursed town and we have like this backstory of murder and everything. And I, it feels a little bit, it feels a little bit close, uh, to being derivative of something that came out last year. Um, so I'm kind of curious to see if those connections will be made for me, uh, going forward as well. But I don't know for right now, it's kind of on thin ice. (laughs) It's a little bit on thin ice. Uh, the show is on in that regard. Um, so yeah, so I think that that's just about it. Um, this episode was, just really, really, uh, something. And it really has me just pumped for the next, you know, five episodes really. And, uh, I will be talking about them and posting them on Patreon, uh, as I go through them. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to start playing myself out. Um, yeah, that's, that's Vecna's curse. I'm excited. I'm glad that Eddie Munson is back in the game, but, uh, we'll see what happens. I'm very excited, uh, for what's to come. And once again, thank you guys so much for listening and for supporting us on Patreon. And, uh, yeah, I will see you in the next review for Stranger Things or whatever I post. Hello and welcome back to my Patreon coverage for Stranger Things. Today I'm going to be covering episode 3 of season 4, which is titled The Monster and the Superhero. And I actually watched this episode last night and I'm recording it in the morning, so hopefully it's pretty fresh. I don't know. Um, I'm also brewing coffee, so just on the off chance that the coffee maker makes noise... Um, that's what that is. Um, so, uh, this episode again, I'm, I'm really, really feeling this season. This season is, 
is something like this wasn't this episode was a little bit of a downturn but for the most part i am still really enjoying the season we saw the return of paul riser as oh god i can't remember his character's name but um he like that opening sequence where um his wife is in the kitchen and then you see the kind of rumbling of the uh dishes and everything um before the helicopter descends upon you know the house that like that gave off such strong um kind of close encounters of the third kind vibes like it looked like it was an alien spacecraft basically and i thought that that was a really interesting and evocative um imagery for the for the show um and there was something to uh there was something about the way that um the show kind of depicted the helicopter because there's a few scenes with it with the military people um just the color palette was really really interesting i don't know like i don't i don't know if it was strictly a stylistic choice or if there was some like uh thematic uh meaning behind it but it was really, really cool. Like, like just, um, in terms of just pure aesthetics, it was, it was incredibly cool. Uh, just very cool looking. So that was, that was a good introduction to the episode. Um, of course, since this season has so many different, you know, locations and, and like the characters are all spread out and everything, it's a little, uh, like I'm, I'm going to have to kind of hit each point as I can remember them and everything. <laughs> So, um, let's start with Hopper because I'm still just not interested in the whole like rescue mission or anything that, that kind of feels a little bit, I don't know. It just doesn't really work for me. It's not, it's not very interesting to me. Um, especially because basically the entire, uh, like the, the whole crux of the plan to get him back is, oh, we're giving, we're giving some random guard, forty thousand dollars and then he's gonna fly he's gonna get hop flown out of russia or whatever fine okay i'm and i'm I'm positive that that's not how it's gonna play out i'm positive that they're going to do something else with it that it's going to be something more complicated than that so i'm gonna reserve a little bit of judgment there but it just doesn't feel like it's that important so far so I don't know I don't know how that's gonna kind of play out and everything so we get some scenes with Hopper and the guard um kind of conspiring and then Hopper does he offers bread and then eventually his soup to another prisoner to hit his foot and I had thought that he was that he was asking him to break the chain for him but no he was hitting the foot so that he it was grizzly so that he could slide his ankle out from the chain i guess fine uh it was gruesome it was disgusting um it made me cringe quite a bit but i'm curious how that's going to i'm I'm curious what the kind of resolution of that's going to be or the end game of that's going to be so that's basically all we got with Hopper. Um, we got Joyce and Murray going to Alaska, which was a lot of fun. Like, I, again, I said last time that I really like Brent, uh, Brett Gilman uh, in this show, and he's he's phenomenal in this. Like, when 
when they all have uh, dinner together. And he, like, I don't know, there was just some, something about his energy that I really liked. Um, when he when he's like, I don't know who this kid is, talking about Argyle, and then he's like, I still don't know who he is. Um, that was really fun. And when he when he's like, oh, yeah, I know. I know what's wrong with them because they're stoned out of their minds. Um, that was a lot of fun. That that was just a lot of fun. And speaking of the stoned out of their minds thing, I mentioned in the last episode that I wasn't too crazy about the kind of stoner Jonathan and Argyle thing um, in the last episode. And I think that that was because it was dealing with it was talking about like a serious character thing with him and nancy and everything here though it was kind of it had so much charm and fun baked into it because no fun intended but had so much fun and charm baked into it because it it really felt like from the from the opening or from the beginning where um where Argyle and Jonathan are driving them back from the skating rink to the dinner scene, like the back and forth between Jonathan and Argyle is just so much fun. And it's so silly. It's played so well. Like that's the kind of like stoner comedy that I, that I like, like that's a lot of fun. Um, because they're, because of that contrast between them being stoned and people around them not being stoned like that that's the kind of stoner comedy i like and now i enjoyed that quite a bit there were there were moments in uh particularly in the van scene where it kind of felt like it felt like they were 100% channeling um uh particularly i think rory cochran's um performance in dazed and confused like argyle like feels exactly like slater in in uh in dazed and confused i'm i i would be willing to bet money that he that he patterned his performance after that performance because i mean i i it's it's too close but um so then the rest of the kind of california um uh plot thread is predicated on the kids being kind of on their own and that i found pretty interesting because joyce and murray go to alaska so they're literally left alone and jonathan is left in charge and then that's when l gets arrested and they have to you know deal with that and that i felt was okay the whole the whole aspect of them um having to go to the uh precinct and uh ask what what they're doing with eleven and everything like that was that was good I liked the franticness of that um and I also like if I could backtrack a little bit I really liked the um scene with Mike and eleven where he's like you're where she says that uh he was afraid of her and he said no I was surprised and uh, I think you're the most incredible person on the planet and you're a superhero and stuff. And like, I really liked that. I, I thought that that was very charming, but I also really, really liked, um, Millie Bobby Brown's performance in this episode. Really? It's very, it's very subdued and understated, but it's, it's really good. Um, but she, when she says that, uh, Mike doesn't understand what it's like to be bullied because he's trying to, he's trying to connect with her and say like, yeah, I've been bullied my whole life. I understand what it is. And she says, no, you don't understand because I don't belong. Like I don't belong anywhere. I'm like, I'm 
people treat me like I'm the weirdest thing in the world. And that I found just really, really not necessarily sad, but the, the, the kind of the deep characterization of that, the, the, um, I don't know that that just felt very genuine and really sad, honestly. So yeah, I will say that it's pretty sad, but I really got what Eleven was going through and what she was, what she was trying to communicate. I thought that was just a really good scene and everything. Um, and I appreciated Mike's, Mike's attempt to comfort her in that moment, but even that is probably not enough and everything. So I, I like that, but then I also, for that whole plot line, I don't really, I don't like, I don't know what their next step is, what Jonathan and Will and Mike's next step is. It kind of feels a little bit weird that like now they're, I mean, they're uh, like, they're the whole point of this episode was Mike, Mike saying that he is going to get Elle out of that. He's going to, he's going to rescue her. He's going to get her out of it. It's going to be fine and everything. But by the end of the episode, she goes with, with Paul Reiser and uh just you know is is talked into kind of abandoning her friends for the greater good of defend defending hawkins and destroying the monster and all that stuff but it kind of seems like okay well now mike and will and jonathan are kind of left in the lurch and now we have these characters in california that are disconnected from the main story and even though it ends on that note where the where the uh, uh, government people show up and everything, I don't know what the next step is there. I don't. Are they going to take them back to Hawkins as well? I don't know. I I kind of hope that's the case because I really hope that this that this season takes these disparate storylines, uh, like that are across like the planet basically. <laughs> And then I'm hoping that by the end of the next episode, they bring them all together and that like somehow all the characters end up back in Hawkins and that's what, you know, leads to the big war uh, against the upside down and everything. I'm hoping that that's the case. Maybe that's what's going to be saved for the last two episodes in July. I don't know. But as of right now, I kind of hope that the government people are like, yeah, we're going to take you back to Hawkins uh, because, you know, um, the monster. So I'm hoping that that's the case, but I, I don't know if it'll be as clean as that. Um, as far as Paul Reiser and the diner scene with Eleven, I like, there's something about that, that I just really, really liked. Um, the dialogue that Paul Reiser has, where he is basically ex like laying it out for Eleven saying that like, there's a war coming the the monster like this is the reason that you you were trained for this like this is the reason why you are who you are um is to defend this you are you are a hero and like that it it came across as genuine it came across as surprisingly genuine and not nefarious or or uh underhanded or anything like that but it also just makes me nervous because i don't know if they're setting up Eleven to be um, a tragic, you know, character who's going to sacrifice herself for Hawkins and, and the world, really. I just need a sip of coffee. Anyway, um, so I, I really, I, I'm, I, I don't know. There was, there was just an element of, well, a little bit of of Stephen King Cotet stuff there too, because, um, Paul Reiser's telling her that, like, that you know, you, it's your choice 
you but I really think that you're the only hope for Hawkins and the world really because this evil needs to be contained and you will have people you have people who will help you and we have that montage of the cutaway of like of Hopper trying to get out of the ankle thing and then all the other characters um uh, so we have so you have people who will help you and everything but it's ultimately going to come down to you and like I just love that I thought that that was like a rousing speech that really kind of honestly I'm shocked that it's episode three out of a nine episode season, seven episodes that are available now, because this felt like a like like the penultimate episode of the season before the big finale. Like it felt like that. But obviously, we still have a lot of steps because she needs to get her powers back and everything. And there's that, you know, deus ex machina special program that he's developed and everything. So fine. Um, but also I, not to be too, uh, too dismissive of that because that's actually really a really good, um, not cliffhanger, but a really good, uh, kind of breadcrumb to leave because he's saying like, it'll bring your powers back. If it works, it'll bring your powers back and even more powerful than before. And like remembering the, you know, the emotional and, and, uh, mental and energy drain that the powers of 11 had on her, makes this even more dangerous and, and interesting to me. Although we do keep getting these flashes of um, what I assume is the massacre at Hawkins lab, which is the title of the final episode of this, of this batch of episodes. So we're going to get the full details at the end of the season or at the end of this chunk of episodes. But I'm very curious how that is going to come into play and everything. I'm, I'm kind of wondering if they're going to do, um, no, I don't think they'll do like a cross cross shots of like her fighting the fighting Vecna with memories of her fighting them. Cause they've kind of done that a lot in the show, I think. Um, so I don't think they'd go that far and everything. I, I, I don't know how episode seven is going to shake out and everything, especially knowing that there are two more episodes, um, that are going to be coming, um, shortly. So I think that that's all for the California crew. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, I, it's fine. That's maybe the weaker point of um, the season uh, for me so far. But back in Hawkins, we get kind of the reunion of Nancy and the the other group. Um, and that, again, that is a that is another element of kind of really fun joining together and like i love this i love this type of storytelling where it's like a big a big um a big problem that several several characters are trying to work out and then they find each other and come together and they lay out the information together um again it's kind of it, it's reminiscent for me of stephen king um in terms of like his cotet storytelling and everything but but for the most part, it's just it's just a really engaging like type of storytelling for genre, uh, genre storytelling like that. Um, but in addition to that uh, element, or in addition to um, to that fact of them coming together and it being reminiscent of Stephen King, it also like and and I'm I'm hesitant to make this connection, but it also feels a little bit reminiscent of uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 
um, Dream Warriors. And I'm hesitant to make that connection because I haven't seen Dream Warriors in many, many years. But it is one of the more celebrated Nightmare on Elm Street movies. And it's the movie where several characters uh, kind of band together to fight Freddy Krueger in the dream world. Um, And I think that's one of the reasons why it's it's so effective and, and it's so well renowned because it's such a cool concept and everything. So we get here in Stranger Things, we get Steve and Robin and uh Dustin and, and Max. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there's anyone else there. Um teaming up with Nancy and they're kind of just delivering like they're they're just delving into all of this information and everything. Um they're working out what's going on and uh and just the dialogue is fantastic i absolutely loved uh the dialogue of them talking like when they're in the in the trailer uh trailer park and then um joe carey man that dude like he has he just has this energy to him um, I think that they they did they've done so well uh they've they've done such a great job of writing him as a kind of sympathetic but f- and funny heroic character in their own way and it's it dates back to like season one when he's like defending the kids and everything from the from the demogorgon um like it stems from that like that was the, the and it's permeated throughout the series or was that season two i don't know but anyway um no season one but like that whole all of that is just like he he's grown so much and that character is so just fantastic um and so to have him uh say stuff like like have these like little like asides where where he's <laughs> where he's like yeah um i uh <laughs> yeah like you know maybe it's maybe it's the the trailer park maybe this is where it's all you know centered in. and he's like well should we be here then um like i don't think we should be here um just like very casual and fun and then also i just i i love the the just energy of it like when he's in the car and he's like oh like always the babysitter always the goddamn babysitter <laughs> like that is i i'm i just i love i love steve harrington uh he's fantastic um and joe carey plays him very very well and we get some good stuff with dustin as well where he's kind of talking about it, uh, the curse and about about Vecna and the the spells and everything. That's a lot of fun. Just like that, again, that group dynamic where each person is has their own different perspective on on it, um, and then the dialogue coming together, sharing those perspectives and everything is really really fun, really engaging. Um, and so. Throughout that, we have uh, basically they it leads them to go to the uh, psychiatrist or guidance counselor, um, and Max has to get some information from her, and she steals her key. So then that leads them to the to the uh, to the high school to find the file, which is great. All of that stuff is great, and I love the just darkness of being in the high school and and uh like that that isolated like creepy stuff like this episode didn't have quite as strong a uh a horror bend because it kind of seemed like a little bit of a um not not really it it didn't seem like uh um oh god what uh like a filler episode or anything but it did seem like it it is 
bringing uh, bringing the horror element down a little bit so that we can advance the characters and advance the story um through through the narrative and everything while also giving some big reveals throughout the throughout the episode as well so that's all well and good like i really like that and the stuff that we did get is is very very compelling and interesting which i'll get to that in a bit i'm talking specifically about max's kind of revelation which we already kind of knew or i think i already kind of knew um that she was kind of being targeted by vecna um mostly because i like everyone's talking about the uh running up the hill or whatever scene and i've seen like a little little bits and pieces of it so um i i hope that i'm not spoiled on that but um i'm very curious to get to that uh, to get to that moment so uh so yeah i don't like that's literally all i know is that the the song running up the hill i think that the, that's the song title is played and i see there's a shot of max running so that's all i know so anyway um so the uh yeah so okay so they're at the school and everything and they're going through the files and they that's when max realizes like oh uh, these are all my symptoms too. Like I'm now probably targeted in everything. And then it ends on that note of, you know, her wandering through the halls and seeing the clock and then hearing, uh, then we hear the voice of Vecna saying, Max, that's very creepy. And then the end of it is just uh, his eyes opening, which, okay. So, and I'll talk about the other kind of uh, things that I, uh, the uh, um, Lucas's kind of group too uh, here in a second. But um, I saw an article, like a headline, and I and I hate to drag the show or anything, um, but it, but I saw a headline where it was like where it was like this is like um, look at how Vecna uh, was influenced by or this is how this is how Vecna was influenced or um an homage to the night king in in game of thrones and i'm like like what i didn't read the article but i'm like okay yeah how how uh, yeah i mean like <laughs> how much detail can possibly be in that article because basically what it is is like vecna is just it, it's not really a ripoff but i mean he looks just like the freaking night king like from from game of thrones so like it's it's not really something that uh <laughs> it's I, I don't think it's another indication of stranger things kind of borrowing from other works a little bit which i will get to that as well here in a, here in a moment um but i don't know so that kind of bugs me but that was a good way to end end the episode though um uh elsewhere or also in that same kind of thing we have nancy and robin teaming up to go to the library and research uh victor creel which i'm very excited about that because we get it we it uncover they uncover that it's not that he didn't murder his family or anything that a demon did and that vecna has been around or it dates his victims date back to like the 1959, I think. And I just really like that. I really like that in terms of kind of uncovering a conspiracy or uncovering a, um, uncovering something. I, I just, I really like that kind of investigative nature of it. Again, it kind of feels, it feels like this type of like serial killer demon hunt story and i think that they did it very well in this episode and i also really like maya hawk's performance she's very 
very anxious and very kind of wiry and i really like that that element of like i have no filter and i can't i don't really pick up social cues all that well and everything and she's worried about how nancy perceives her and how nancy perceives her and um and and steve as well i i just really like that that energy like the that pairing up is really good so and it feels like they're kind of setting up that you know steve and nancy will get back together um and and that Jonathan will, you know, uh break up with her or that they'll break up. I don't know. So anyway, um yeah, so I think the kind of other thing oh, Lucas and his his jock friends. Um that was fine. I like it makes me nervous um a little bit because like they they are very much uh out for blood and everything. And I thought that Lucas was gonna betray where Eddie is and everything, but they did a good job of uh of kind of doing that. It's an it's an interesting kind of like undercover uh uh kind of storyline. Um, even though it's kind of just based on Lucas wanting to be included in the cool the cool group and everything. So that's that's all well and good and everything. Um yeah, I and I'm I'm just kind of waiting for Lucas to join back up with the group. Um because I'm not really that interested in uh in the jocks and everything. Although I think that they like the uh the <laughs> like the um uh the makeup and and the wardrobe of them is just is just perfect 80s douchebag uh characters. Um very like that that very uh I don't know. It's, it's very satisfying. Like it, it is exactly that an archetype, um, a stereotype and I love it. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I love it. So, so that's, that's good. I, yeah, I don't really have much else to say about that. The final thing I want to talk about is that again, I hate to drag the show, <laughs> um, but they keep, I feel like the show the show very much owes a debt to Stephen King. I've said that I've said that for years at this point. And what's interesting is like the first the first season is very much Firestarter. That it's Firestarter through and through. Um with elements of it and the Losers Club of it uh in particular. So that's that's great. That's fine. But they're still pulling from that well. And what I mean by that is that the Victor Creel house and and Vecna being uh kind of using that the, or at least the upside down version of that house as his base of operations or whatever that's it's very much it's the house on Nebolt Street from it it's that it is it is exactly that and that bothers me a little bit <laughs> it bothers me just just a little bit because it's it's again pulling from that well of established well done fiction and it's not it doesn't seem all that um original for for stranger things and it's just i hate to see stranger things continuously pulling from uh from established properties and and uh i don't know it it just bothers me a little bit but uh, but I, the concept of vecna and and what he's presumably doing i like infecting these the townspeople so that he gets energy and everything is cool like it's very interesting and intriguing um, the other thing, and I'll kind of start wrapping up. Um, the other thing is that the, uh, the jock character that he, 
that he kind of mind melds into and everything that didn't have any resolution this episode. I thought that was interesting. Um, I kind of expected that it was going to be like a big, a big deal. Um, but I'm sure that they're saving that for next episode. And that this, this was more, uh, to show the jocks, you know, doing their thing and going after Eddie. So I'm sure that it'll be a pretty interesting, um, reveal when, when that character gets, you know, murdered viciously. (laughs) Um, yeah, so that, that should be interesting. So uh, maybe that'll be what brings Lucas back into the fold and, and what convinces Lucas like, oh yeah, Eddie didn't murder Chrissy. Um, it was, it was an upside down thing. So I need to go back to my friends and we need to work together to stop it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Well, that should just about do it. The other, the other thing is that, um, I really liked the, uh, the scene where they're kind of talking to Eddie about what's going on. And like Robin says something like, yeah, you know, we've, we've all handled, like they've, they've done this more than I have and I've only done it once, but, but yeah, we're, we're, we'll, we'll, we'll do it. We'll, we'll get it done. So I don't know. It's, I, I just kind of like that, uh, that reflection of the history of, of stranger things and everything. I thought that was really good. So so yeah, anyway, um, I'm going to play myself out because, uh, yeah, I've got nothing more to say about episode three, the monster and the superhero, um, really liking this season so far. And I hope you guys are liking these reviews. So let me know what you thought about episode three and about this recording. And I will be back soon with my thoughts on episode four, which I don't know the title of, but I will be back soon with it. So thank you guys. And I'll see you in the next recording. Hello and welcome back to my review series on Stranger Things that's exclusive to Patreon except for at the end of the month when I'm going to put it all together as an obsessive viewer episode probably that is currently that is still the plan I don't know how I'm going to do that with how um, long it's going to end up being for seven reviews about 30 30 minutes each. It's going to be a lengthy episode, but I do appreciate you guys supporting us on Patreon and for uh, listening to all the crap that I throw at you guys, so I do appreciate that. Um, I am now on episode four. I just finished episode four of Stranger Things season four, which is titled Dear Billy, and this was a very... I, I This... This has been a very memeable episode. Um, it has been in uh, this this episode, or at least the needle drop in this episode, has gone viral um, since the show premiered the season. And for the most part, like I get why. I mean, I I get why. Um, but I kind of feel like I kind of feel like the um, the song choice is what has gotten the most acclaim out of it. Um, I think that that's, that's what the primary focus has been is that, oh yeah, this song was used, not the fact that it's a very pivotal, um, emotional and, uh, uh, terrifying sequence and everything. So I don't know. I'm kind of mixed back and forth there. It's not really an indictment of the quality of the show at all because the show itself, um, uh, that's, that's, that's basically a reaction So, like, my reaction to that is based on the internet reaction, so it has nothing to do with the actual content of the show. 
So, dear Billy, this was this was overall a a solid episode. It's still it feels like the season is still kind of on that downward trajectory um from the last episode. The last episode was kind of like filling in the gaps or or bringing bringing more things into the picture and uh and kind of filling in the filling in the story gaps so that we could get to more pivotal stuff. And I kind of expected the pivotal stuff to be in this episode, and it is for the most part. Like, I mean, we get we get the Victor Creel stuff, and we get some very um, very good backstory. We have a little bit of a flashback in that. We get the resolution or the the disaster of Hopper's escape and uh, Joyce and Murray, um, their whole thing. Also, Jonathan, Will, and Mike are in danger. Uh, and Argyle with with them and everything, so it was a big it was a big episode for moving the plot forward. What I kind of am at an impasse with is that we got nothing with Jason and his group. So, like the character who who I almost called him the Night King, um, <laughs> the character who um, who the oh god Vacna. Um, who he possessed in the last episode that still is a dangling plot thread that still hasn't been resolved or anything and we didn't get anything anything at all with Eddie Munson um in this episode at all it's all it was all the core characters and everything so it kind of feels like this it kind of feels like the the season took a a, a little bit of a stop here and it took a little bit of a a breather specifically to to focus in on max's character which is great like the max stuff in this episode was really really strong and sadie sink did a phenomenal job in this episode i think she her performance was fantastic and credit to the show i did not know what to expect um and kind of with with the benefit of hindsight now that i finished the episode i I can definitely tell like oh yeah there was no way they were going to kill her off um not in this episode um, they were not going to just have her be the third victim of of Vacna or whatever. Um, that just wasn't that just wasn't in the cards. But what what TV shows tend to usually do um, in this type of Vecna, it's Vecna, not Vacna. Sorry. Um, what shows tend to do in this type of thing, this type of story where we have several different subplots going concurrently. And it's leading toward leading toward a potentially tragic conclusion, um, such as this. So here's an example of what what kind of what what a tired trope of a TV show would have done. Um, and I have my I have my I have my criticisms of Stranger Things as a whole, but credit to credit where it's due, they did not do this, and I was I was thankful for it. But basically, what TV shows would normally do in this type of instance where we have several different subplots going concurrently and each subplot involves something something big and uh, something big and pivotal in this episode when they all kind of reach, um, if not the conclusion, then a different stage of that subplot in this episode. So when we have those those several plot threads going concurrently, what a normal TV show or what a what a a more tired TV show would do is leave. It would basically spell out the plan. So if, if 
this were kind of a, a more conventional show or some something on network TV, perhaps, um, it would spend the entire episode just making making sure that Hop's escape is like a sure thing. And then they would build up Max's demise and make it seem like she's about to die. And then when she doesn't die, they would do the they would switch over to Hop and his escape and all that going to hell. What this show did wisely instead of doing that instead of leaving hops rescue or escape and and all of the stuff in russia and alaska leaving that for the for the end of the episode for the very end as a as a cliffhanger what this show did was it resolved those threads and and jonathan and will and and mike's thread as well before getting to max's big moment and what that did and I found I find it pretty impressive in, in terms of storytelling is what it did was it made the audience like it it really put the chips down um, like this episode was brutal. Um, we got the there were a co- like a couple of moments like like the two big moments with uh, like Hop getting uh, getting, you know, captured, recaptured and Joyce and Murray getting drugged and everything and then also with with Will and Jonathan and Mike um leaving and everything all of that like those moments like that felt like the game over scene like a game over like well also like it's like Bill Paxton's um line in uh in in Aliens like it's game over man game over um but no it literally felt like a video game end screen like oh you lost like like it like video game like game over start over so that's the kind of feel that I got. And I liked that. I thought that that was uh, really strong and uh, really good because it threw me for a loop a little bit. Um, to talk more specifically, I'll, I'll, I'll do the Russia stuff first. So Hopper um, escaping through the like tool shed. It seemed, I mean, it was a crazy, crazy escape plan and everything. And I like that we don't really, we didn't really know what, his actual plan was or how detailed the the guard was with him. So I kind of like that, I guess. Um, but when he got the snowmobile, I was like, Oh, okay, cool. He's going to be safe. Um, so that was, that was all fine and everything. But then when, (laughs) when we get, uh, Murray and Joyce meeting up with Yuri, that was a lot of fun. That was, that was a lot of fun. The energy that the actor that plays Yuri, um brought to it was a lot of fun very wiry and very uh very i don't know kind of volatile would be the word that i would use to describe him and everything and him not taking any of it seriously and everything that was a lot of fun um a a lot of fun and then the backstab the double the double cross there was a very nice kind of twist on it because i even said in the last review that i don't know i didn't know how the storyline was going to resolve because it seemed way too clean. It it seemed way too like we, we know too much about the escape plan. We know too much about the rescue operation and everything. So it had to go wrong. And the way it went wrong was very satisfying because it leaves all of these characters kind of not wiped off the board entirely, but we don't know what the next step is. Like I have no idea what to expect um from this i would not honestly i would not be surprised i don't know how i would feel about this but i would not be surprised if that storyline maybe isn't even fully resolved until the last two episodes um i could see it being kind of left hanging 
But then again, I'm not sure about that. Um, because I know that the last two episodes that are premiering in July, the reason that they broke it up into two volumes, I believe, was because they uh, weren't going to be able to finish the final two episodes in time. Um, so they wanted to get the first seven out and then the last two out when, uh, you know, after six weeks had passed. So I don't know. Um, I don't know. I don't have my sources on that. But anyway, um, so I, I could see them kind of, I could see them kind of like, ignoring that plot thread for a little while or at least not making it so prominent which I would part of me is like I'd be kind of okay with that because we have so much else going on but um but also it would be just poor storytelling in my opinion (laughs) so yeah I don't know I just I don't know either way it would it would be interesting I'm, I'm curious to see what happens and everything Something kind of tangentially or kind of uh, to bridge the story between Russia and Alaska and uh, the California storyline, um, something I don't really, something I've, I've, I'm, I don't know if I necessarily dislike this, but it feels a little bit uh, clunky is that, I mean, episode two or episode three, the roller rink episode, um, that ended, yeah, it was, I don't know. Oh, yeah, it was episode two, episode two, because I'm on episode four now. Okay, yeah, so episode two, the roller skate to the face scene, like, that is such a huge moment. That is that is such a shocking, shocking moment. And now, just with a wave of Paul Reiser, it's just, it's, not, none of that matters. Like, we will not see, I do not believe we will see anything more with that plot line ever again in the, in the history of Netflix original series. Um, and I don't, I don't, I think that that's, I think that there's a, an element of maybe clunky storytelling there, because I get that the intention of that is to show that, you know, Eleven is still dangerous or she is, if not, if not, um, if not fully kind of, um, acclimated to, you know, normal life she still possesses this anger in her and she has this killer instinct and everything, which is going to serve her well, potentially, hopefully in this war to come for Hawkins and the the upside down and everything. But it's a lot of plot. It's a lot of narrative real estate to spend to make that point. And I don't know. I don't know where they're heading with that, um, if anywhere, but I can it kind of feels like when you have so many different plot lines going concurrently through different areas, different different locations, different character sets and everything, that feels like it's it was given too much importance and just dropped, basically. Um, so I don't know. I just it, it kind of just leaves a, a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth. Um but to go into the actual California storyline, <laughs> oh, there have been some interesting filmmaking choices in this season. And I forgot to mention this, but in the second episode, there's this amazing like overhead shot that goes from, I think it's Nancy driving and then and then the camera cranes up and spins around to where the trailer park is upside down. Um, I can't, I don't remember exactly how it happened or whatever, but that was like really cool. That was really, really impressive. And then this episode, holy crap. Um, we had the kind of government agents guarding or looking after, uh, the, the three guys, um, at the house after 11 was taken to, to Nevada. Um, presumably Nevada. I read the plot summary for, uh, for the next episode, but anyway, 
uh, or at least the first few words. But anyway, um, they're being kind of looked after or held captive, whatever you want to say. And they decide like, oh, we're we're going to help save Hawkins. We are going to do this. And then like, that's a tall order. They're in California. Hawkins is in Indiana. That's a tall order. But their plan is to have uh, Argyle come get them, smuggle them out. And then they're going to go on their on their merry way. And like there's some good comic relief with the two agents being very uh, lethargic and like couch potatoes and just watching golf. The most boring thing you can watch on television, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, No offense to my golf fans out there. But anyway, um, they're just very lethargic, very couch potato-y and everything and not paying attention. So the plan, I just I thought that that whole sequence was executed so well Um, when it, it. it's interesting because uh, they order the pizza and then we get very cleverly disguising the danger because we get that we get the uh, the scene with Argyle driving and he's kind of like uh, kind of I think he's singing along or something. I don't know. But anyway, we get Argyle driving and then we get them packing and everything. And then we hear the knock on the door. It's like, oh, yeah, well, that was quick. Well, 30 minutes or less. And then, boom, the agents are under fire and it's a full like like battalion of of military guys with uh, with weapons shooting and firing. And the coolest thing about that whole sequence was. The first, the first government agent goes down quick, but then the other one is, uh, he's eventually injured, but he, he kind of, um, he takes out a bunch of them. Like he's, he's, he's kind of going to town, but what was so cool about that is that looked like it was at least filmed in a, in a, in a style to make it look like it was all one continuous take. And I love that. I think that that is so cool. And given the fact that it's such a confined space and there's so limited, limited structures to um for them to kind of hide behind and everything the way that the camera just weaves in and out and moves around uh, follows them around and everything and reveals like the the bad guys coming in from all sides and everything just really really impressive very cool filmmaking and i thought that, that was just a really cool stylistic choice and it really made the ten- the tension feel just incredible because specifically because I was not expecting that at all. Like when, when the doorbell rang, <laughs> even, oh, they even did the, like the, the, like doing like ding, 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 like, like hectic doorbell thing. Like that whole time, I'm not thinking like, oh, it's not Argyle. I'm thinking like, like I was just sitting there thinking like, wait, what, what the hell is the plan? Like <laughs> they're going to get the pizza and then the guards are going to go and check and like tell them like, hey, the pizza's here. See that they're not there. And they get like what a maximum of 10 seconds of a head start uh to get out of there but no it just kind of like completely turns it on its ear and it's something else entirely and it's done so well um very cool very cool so i'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out and everything um and i'm I'm definitely curious about that um so back in hawkins um, I'll talk about Max here in a bit, but I really appreciated the storytelling um, between Lucas. First of all, Lucas came back. I'm so glad to see that he got his head out of his ass and um, he's he's back with the team. I'm, I'm glad that they didn't drag that out too much and he's just he's just perfectly fitting back in. 
Um, so that's great. And he had some really good scenes with Max as well. So, um, what they, um, what they do in this show for like the majority of the time or not majority of the time, but at the kind of introduction of that, that plot thread is they spend so much time having Steve and Lucas and Dustin talk out the logistics of it and the logistics of what's going on. And it's so, it's so nice because these are questions that the audience should have as well. Like, okay, well, so the demon, so, so Vecna went after Victor Creel's family in 1959 or whenever. And then, but that was before 11 opened the gateway to the upside down. So why did he come back? Why, or why did he, why did he go after them? Why was he there then? Um, how did he get like, so he just kills one, one family and then leaves and then comes back now just to kill a bunch of random teenagers. It doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, yes, these are the questions that we need to ask. And like, these are the kinds of questions that a lesser, um, um, a show that isn't written. I gotta be careful. Cause I'm not sure how exactly to phrase this, but, a show that doesn't that doesn't necessarily care for its storytelling would have just not addressed those things that directly by any stretch. Um, and I have my complaints with the show. I have my issues with the show being derivative and everything. But when it when it has strong dialogue like that, and even kind of poking fun at the like illogical stuff in it, it works in its favor because it helps us. It doesn't. It it's not. It's not asking us to suspend our disbelief necessarily. It's asking us to consider, like, oh wait, why is that the case? Like, yeah. Um. Hopefully, like, hopefully it will resolve, uh, resolve itself for us, and they'll resolve it for us, and answer those questions. But I just think that's really, really solid. I really like the writing there. So, um, Max is writing letters, which I thought was a very nice, um a nice gesture. Like I, I like that as this kind of, um, melancholy look at this kid facing her mortality and everything. And they have literally no, <laughs> like they have no, um, way of stopping it that they, that they're aware of. And it's just like, it's such a shot in the dark. It's such like, there's, it's almost game over for them. And like, that's like that little, we get like just a little bit of hope at the end when she's rescued and everything, but that's it. Like everything else is very bleak and very melancholy. And I really, really appreciate that and really like that. Um, and I like how the letters really kind of inform, um, her relationship with Lucas and the rest of the group, because Lucas calls her out and says like, Hey, we're right here. I don't need a letter from you. I need you to just talk to me and talk about what you feel and everything. And I just, I really like that. I, re I thought that that was a really cool, really cool scene and really good writing. Um, and again, I'll get to the max stuff here in a second, but I do want to touch on Nancy and, um, Robin going to, I can't remember the the name of the asylum, like Pinehurst or Penhurst or something. Um, the asylum to see Victor Creel. And of course I knew because they announced it long ago too that Robert uh Robert England uh was going to be in this season, which is awesome. That is so that is very cool casting. And I thought he did a a great job playing that tortured, scary and and scary um 
character and like the makeup effects of his eyes were really cool or lack thereof really um just really cool i i really like that if that's the only scene that he's in this whole season if that if that's if it's just like a cameo appearance i'd be perfectly satisfied because i thought that that really delivered the goods and was really well acted um but even before that like they're they're kind of uh um the <laughs> nancy and robin's uh play to get into into uh meet with him was so much fun so much fun and i loved that it obviously kind of depended on robin coming through uh because she has no filter and she uh doesn't know how to like do that and and it kind of is um a nice extension of the scene with nancy going up to the trailer park in the second episode because she's un she's she's not seasoned she's not a seasoned investigative journalist by any stretch she's still by all accounts still pretty much a kid and this is all like not something that she's done for a long time but she's kind of playing it um and then here we have her kind of flailing a little bit trying to get to get to victor creel and then robin just comes out and it's like has this just outburst of an amazing monologue that is so much fun and Maya Hawk was fantastic in it um it's so much it was so much fun and they win they get they got a chance to see him but even then they get well I mean they they make it out and everything but that almost closed in on them too they almost had a game over moment as well um because they like the the guy was like yeah yeah no um i had to talk with the guy that you had a reference letter from and uh you need to stay here and see the cops and then um yeah i don't know so i i really um i really enjoyed that i i enjoyed that like as as kind of um disparate as the different plot lines are and uh disconnected as they kind of are um at this point sort of um, they do kind of, uh, they do kind of come together thematically a little bit, um, in this episode. And I do appreciate that. So now we've got the big scene with Max, the big run up the hill or whatever scene, um, with Max. And again, I was not sure how it was going to end. I didn't know how it was going to go. And I was all for it. I thought it was a lot. I thought it was really well done. And when she gets into, first of all, we get um, a cameo from Dacre Montgomery, who played Billy. Um, and I thought that was great. That was great. Um, fantastic. Good to see him in the show again. And having that play up this, um, after this incredibly heartfelt scene where she's talking to his grave and then have um, have Vecna's version of him you know, playing into her fears and regrets and sadness and grief and everything is just really, really awesome. And then when she escapes from him and goes into like the upside down version, like the imagery of that was very cool. Like I loved the red tinting and the just chaos around it. Um, it was, it was really, really well done. I, I thought that was really cool. And I would say that, on the surface, it seems kind of silly that like, oh, music is the key to getting <laughs> to getting to to breaking the trance and everything. Um, and like that is kind of goofy. There's no there's no real way around that. But it's done pretty well in this in this scene, in this circumstance and everything, I, I guess. Like they explain it away pretty well, um, I guess. But it is it is still kind of silly. 
just a little bit silly. But it also feels, again, like another kind of riff on a Nightmare on Elm Street thing. She even says to Vecna, she says, like, you're not real. You're not really here. I mean, that's literally how they defeat um, uh, uh, Freddy Krueger in A Nightmare on Elm Street. That's literally how it's how it ends. Um, so that was kind of another derivative kind of example from uh from stranger things but i don't know derivative like there's a very fine line between homage and derivativeness and everything um but i don't know but anyway the the set design and the look and appeal of the um the upside down prison yard thing was very very striking and uh very cool and oh that's what i was saying so it is it is silly. The music thing is silly, but I think it's important to notice or note that it's not necessary. Like like she, she. I like that the show demonstrates that Max is strong. She's a strong character, and she is strong enough to withstand Vecna for long enough to have her friends rescue her with music. So I do like that. Like I I I can reconcile the fact that. It's kind of a silly kind of way to to um, beat the curse or um, or postpone the curse uh, or what have you. Um, I grant you that it is silly. It is a silly way to do that. But the fact that she escaped from Vecna and was able to get to the upside down, even or um, I'm calling it the upside down. I don't know, but to get to there and um, even have him ask her like, why, why are you doing here? Why are you doing here? (laughs) What are you doing here? Come back to me or whatever. Like, that's just, I, I really like that. That's kind of a, that's kind of showing a weakness for the villain that I really appreciate because we haven't seen that yet. And I'm just very curious, um, to see how that kind of plays out. She even, um, temporarily injures him when she's, when she's running away. So I thought that that was pretty interesting and telling. So, the final scene, the final like shot of the episode was very cool. Um, having her levitating and then dropping down, um, and then them huddling around her, and then the the the, the sky kind of changes. I don't know if it's because she's back from like you know from the upside down and from this other world thing, or if it's just nightfall and everything. But just the way that it, the way that the scene changed and then it fades out as we're kind of ground level at the bottom of the hill looking up at at them all huddled together i thought that that was just very cool imagery and really strong visual storytelling and uh, a nice kind of release valve for the tension and gives it gives us a moment to kind of breathe and relax so i liked it overall i really really enjoyed this episode i know that a uh, friend of the show, Robert in Utah, mentioned that he can't wait until I get to that scene or that episode or that moment. And I wonder if this is what, if this was that, um, in which case I was not disappointed. Um, <laughs> uh, it was very cool. Very cool. So I enjoyed it. So I think that that is about it. Um, I don't know where the show is going to go from here. Um, I have what, three episodes left for this batch. And then uh, in a few weeks, we get the last two episodes of the season, so that should be exciting. Um, all right, well, that will do it for this uh, Patreon exclusive, temporarily, um, review of Stranger Things episode four. Uh, Dear Billy, I'll be back soon with my thoughts on episode five, which is, I believe, called the Nina Project. Um, 
Yeah, and there was no 11 in this episode either, so that was kind of a bummer, but, you know, so many plots, so little time. So thank you guys, and I'll see you in the next review. Hi, Patreon, and welcome back to my review series on Stranger Things 4, Volume 1. If you're listening to this on uh, the Obsessive Viewer Podcast, thank you. And uh, check out more of our stuff on Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. And uh, and yeah, if you're listening to this on Patreon, uh, thank you so much for supporting us and for listening to us and everything. Um, really... Uh, really can't thank you enough and i hope that you guys are enjoying all of the content we're throwing at you on patreon so tonight i just watched it's been it's been a little bit a little bit since the last segment um i just watched uh chapter five the nina project from stranger things four and it i I took a little bit of a break from stranger things um after the big running up the hill whatever um episode and uh, this episode did not do much of anything for me, to be honest. Um, I mean, it was fine. It was fine as a kind of um, connective tissue to what I hope will be better, a better um, last half of the season, basically, or a better, yeah, last half, because we have the last two episodes and then volume two. So I'm hoping that that uh, I, I'm hoping that this is just kind of a, a connecting piece because, oh, man, I like I the seasons or the episodes are longer. Obviously, this is like an hour and 15 or an hour and 17 minutes. And that's fine. I'm all for that. But when you have characters that are in completely different settings, completely different plot lines running concurrently that have really no bearing on the other um, throughout it. When you're five episodes into that level of storytelling, um, it gets pretty tired. It gets pretty tired, and I was kind of tired from this uh, from from this episode. And I'm going to make a joke. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm going to make a joke. So prepare yourselves. Um, this episode, two of the two of this episode subplots were the Losers Club going into Nebolt Street, uh, the house on Nebolt Street, and following the deadlights uh, to find the evil and everything. And the other subplot was Charlie McGee being taken to the shop and trying to escape after discovering her powers. Um, again, <laughs> uh, it's so like it's so derivative of it and firestarter and everything it's so it's just so derivative that this show is and it's really starting to get on my nerves at this point um because i i took i took like a couple of weeks off from watching it and then came back to it and then we have this and then even like the pop culture references of like dustin referencing nightmare on elm street like that's that is all well and good except that they're using uh like some of the stuff from nightmare on elm street to as as a as a kind of vessel for the horror of the season so uh 
and even the stunt casting of Robert England is is there too in that respect. But like, it just feels like it just uh, it feels like they're just riffing on something like trying to have their cake and eat it too and like there was a part in this episode where i was like i wonder if like i wonder if like the duffer brothers and other producers on the show i wonder if they were like re-watching like 80s horror movies and thought like oh let's do this for stranger things 4 so i don't know it's 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 whatever so um the the i'm gonna try to go through each subplot but it again there's so many and they're so disconnected that it's it's a struggle it is really a struggle there were some good episodes in the first batch but this has been a struggle for me this episode i it took me a while to actually finish this episode because well i had other stuff going on but i was trying to focus on it and i wasn't as enraptured by it or in in uh into it as um as I would like to be. And that's just such a bummer because we had such a cool episode in the previous episode. And now we just have this playing catch up on the plot and not really doing anything really that interesting, to be honest. It's, uh, I don't know. So let's start with, I guess, Eleven. I'll start with her plot line. She is brought by Owens to a bunker in like the desert uh, where they have the Nina project, which is basically a pool for her to like a like the precog pool in in uh, Minority Report um, to get her to remember. It's very vague and it doesn't really matter uh, to me all that much. But what it is is basically giving her a view of her past, and that's the problem that I had with that. This felt so lazy to me <laughs> it felt so lazy that we have this like mystery i guess baked into 11 subplot throughout this entire season of something that she did at hawkins labs it's the title of the final episode of this batch of episodes is the massacre at hawkins labs and so there is a mystery about that and so when we have this extended flashback sequence where she is in the pool trying to get her powers back or doing whatever um, for for Matthew Modine and for Owens, it it just feels so lazy to have that be this weird flashback backstory to her at the, at the start of her time in Hawkins Labs or whatever, and like showing other kids like i i didn't i didn't really connect with that or care about it really at all and just the just the idea of it being used as a flashback uh, a, an excuse for a flashback narrative when it's set up as this is how you're getting your powers back is just so lazy and and un uh, uninspired really and, th- and that was just kind of a downer to me um so let's see where else should we go because we have to go all over the planet at this point uh let's talk about uh well hop and the the prison guard they have this scene where now the prison guard's a prisoner and hop is hopping mad that the plan didn't work out and so he is kind of bearing his soul to the to the prison guard now uh now um prisoner uh, talking about how like, oh yeah, I got, I got, um, drafted 
into war and then uh just did chemical stuff with agent orange and then um everyone that i knew started having kids that you know were all uh that were varying degrees of uh having having birth defects or just dying um and then i had my daughter and she she was perfectly healthy but she died and and my wife left and like like basically going through and telling us the stuff that we learned in season one um i don't know if the agent orange stuff was was uh known or anything but as as great as that scene was for for david harbour's like emmy reel um it doesn't it didn't give anything to me it didn't like that whole plot line did nothing like there was no advancement in that plot line at all and then kind of another thing with um with Joyce and um oh my god Brett Gelman's character I can't even remember his name uh Brett Gelman's character um they're on the plane with Yuri and they get the upper hand they fight him they crash the plane okay like again that it's a segment of a storyline it's a segment of a story arc and it doesn't resolve it's like it's just it's just teeing itself up for the next segment and it doesn't tell like a complete story on its own. I mean, I guess it does with um, Brett Gelman's character, you know, facing <laughs> it's all it's all for com- comedic effect, but facing up to like his insecurities as a black belt and everything. That's fine. It's OK, but it didn't didn't really do anything. And Winona Ryder had nothing to do there. Um, it was very just just really bland and uninteresting. Um, and then uh to go back to i already did 11 and uh, i'll save the losers club for last um but in california we got um we got the the federal agent uh, a shot of him alive uh, in the house uh from the gunshot wound and and the government guys asking him where 11 is or where they're going or whatever Again, that didn't really do anything. It didn't resolve itself or anything. We didn't even see... Oh my god, this this episode really, really tested my patience. And it's a bummer that I waited two weeks to actually watch the episode. Um, but it really tested my patience because... Um, the California crew, as I am dubbing them... Uh, like, okay, first of all, Argyle... I like the guy. I like the character. But the whole, like, stoner shtick in this episode just did not work for me like like it's just it it felt very lazy very like getting on like like intentionally getting under the audience's skin like when he's constant like when they're like when they have to repeat repeat things to him uh several times before he does it like the i don't know if it's a timing issue or if it's just a situation where they just didn't write it well enough but every time i'm just like okay all right it's not it the comedy isn't landing it's just annoying like it's just annoying that they have to tell him to go to go off the road several times uh yeah it's just it's so it it just didn't didn't work for me at all but again that whole that whole subplot that whole plot line this episode did not go anywhere i mean it just advanced the plot line itself so it did kind of do that but it did nothing for the characters there's one little bit where will talks to mike 
and it's it's very very heavily implied that he's that he's talking about um an attraction that he has toward mike saying that he uh like uh, he understands what it's like to want to say something to someone you care about um but being afraid of what they what they react what their reaction would be and everything like i get that that's fine um they do kind of lay that on a little bit thick so i'm kind of curious if they're going to switch it around and have it like be revealed that oh he's not actually like in love with mike he's it's he's talking about something completely different um because solely because it's a little like too obvious and direct at this point um but even if they do kind of go that route i'm still excited to see what uh what that scene is going to be between the two of them because i think that'd be really interesting and a really interesting dramatic moment in the show so yeah but the actual plot line everything that happens like they bury the agent and they they it's just like a a very loose clue to get to the next point like oh okay we need to we need a number for nina whatever the nina project okay there's a number um we found the number in the pen in the most ridiculous like jump in logic i can imagine <laughs> like and this is a show about an alternate dimension that lives outside like up, like upside down from us but um <laughs> but like uh mike just saying like well that's weird like okay argyle is gonna is gonna make a tombstone for this body we just buried but he can't write with the pen that the agent that the dead agent gave him why would he give him a pen that doesn't that doesn't write like okay well that's a very big leap like uh, yeah like uh, why i don't know it just that just felt weird that felt weird to me um, because it wasn't like he just specifically gave him that pen. He was dying and trying to get information to them. Anyway, they open up the pen and yes, there's a rolled up piece of paper that has a phone number on it. So yeah, good advancement of the plot moving along. Great. So they find a payphone and then they call and it's a, it's, it dials into a computer. So now they have to go to Utah to go to Dustin's girlfriend to see if she can hack it. What am I talking about? What am I saying? this is stranger things like that just feels so weird like that feels so weird that this is the plot the plot line of a plot line of the show this season it is so out there and like not not like anything that's that stranger things have has done it just feels so lifeless and not interesting and this is coming off of the heels of a really good episode where they had a very cool shootout scene, which also is a little bit out of character in the show, but also uh, a really cool, effective, like, character moment with with Max and the the Kate Bush scene. It's coming off the heels of that, and we get this complete downer of an episode that is so, uh, such a slog to get through that it's just, it's really, really bothersome. It it really it really um it really disappointed me, you guys. It really disappointed me. Um so Oh, and I just thought of another plot line that I that I didn't have in my head when uh when I started this. Again, way too many. So the Losers Club, aka uh Dustin, Max, Robin, um Oh, Nancy and Steve and am I forget and Lucas. Um, anyway, the, that whole group, 
they go to they they discover that the house that Max saw in her vision was the Creel house. Um, so they go to the Creel house, which also kind of feels like a desperate gambit at this point but it also it's a little bit better than than you know the oh there's a pen and we should open up the pen and find a number in it that kind of contrivance but this also was like a little bit a little bit too much like okay the show just really wants to do its it cosplay or its uh do its it um fan fiction in this moment um, because it's like, okay, like, what are they, like, they don't know what they're looking for. They call attention to that, that they don't know what they're investigating, investigating or anything, but it also doesn't really help that they don't know what they're looking for or anything. And again, at the end of this, we don't know what they find. We don't know what they, like, what, what the next step is because all they did was follow lights, follow lights, um, to basically follow around Vecna as he's strolling through the house, apparently. Um, it was pretty cool that it had that connection with the real world Hawkins where, um, Patrick in, in, uh, in the, the douchey guy, preppy douchey guy, athlete guys group, um, he gets completely annihilated by Vecna, um, which I did find that pretty interesting. I was glad that we got the the closure of that, and we also got more Eddie Eddie uh, Munson. Eddie Eddie Munson, um, he was like he's he's a shining star in this show, as far as I'm concerned. He was really good, um, and so that like that kind of cliffhanger ending of of Patrick being just destroyed. And, uh, and then them being in the water and everything that is, that's compelling. That's going to make me interested in what's happening in the next episode. But honestly, this episode was just such a downturn, such a downer, such an uninteresting kind of, um, just writing to write, writing, writing to get to the next big set piece that, and that is felt just so lazy and, so uncompelling to me. So I don't know. I'm I'm sure I'm forgetting other things, but I'm I'm kind of oh yeah, the agent people went to uh Eddie's trailer and like escorted his uncle out or something. I don't know what's a, what the deal is with that either. That was just one scene that had nothing to do with anything really. Um I don't know. I don't know. This, this episode was a struggle. So, um, I'm excited to watch the last two episodes and then watch the final two episodes in, in, uh, in the, in a couple of weeks from now. But I've got to say the Nina project did not really work for me. Um, and oh, I didn't really even talk about 11 all that much. Um, because it's oh I did talk about her because of the flashback stuff yeah that all just didn't really work for me it just it felt I don't know um again lazy lazy and writing to to get to the next point in the story which is not not effective storytelling in my opinion so um unfortunately I'm just gonna kind of leave this here I'm gonna start playing myself out um oh that is not the right uh sound pad (laughs) wow okay maybe this one is there we go okay yeah so i'm gonna go ahead and play myself out um thank you guys so much for supporting us and uh let me know what you thought about the nina project and the 
a bunch of stuff that I'm sure I completely forgot about. Um, so stay tuned for my next review, which is going to be on The Dive, Episode 6. Thank you, guys, and I'll see you in the next episode. Hi, Patreon, and welcome back to my reviews of uh, Stranger Things for Volume 1. Um, I am here tonight to talk to you guys about Episode 6, titled The Dive, which I just finished watching um, a, a fair amount of time after having seen Episode 5. Um, that last um, that last episode, as you guys will know, um, I wasn't too, too keen on it, and... Um, by the end of the episode, I like by the end of recording that review and everything, I felt like a little, I don't know, I didn't really feel like watching more. <laughs> um, so I took a little bit of a break from it. But now I'm back because um, I have two episodes left and I want to finish it and I want to uh, be prepared for when the net for when the final two episodes of the season premiere on July 1st. And also because on June 30th, um, I'm going to release all of these recordings as an obsessive viewer episode. So uh, I have a little bit of a deadline to get these reviews done and everything. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so that's where I'm at with uh, my kind of delay in getting... Um, getting this episode out and everything, but I finished watching the episode and now I'm going to tell you my thoughts on it. And <laughs> I will say that it's a slight improvement. It is an improvement over, um, the very, very steep downturn that was episode five. Um, it's, it has good and bad in this episode. There is good and bad in this episode. And I'm, I'm a little bit, hesitant about you know the the final episode or or i should say not final episode but you know the um uh the next episode and i don't know <laughs> like okay there is a lot to cover in this because there are so many different plot plot threads and everything so let me start with uh with the russian plot line um it's it's coming into focus a little bit better um, Hopper and the guard, um, have been selected to basically be fattened up to, uh, to be put to a fight against the Demogorgon, um, that they have in the Russian prison. And I do, for as weird as this season is, as weird and strange and <laughs> as unlike any other season as this season is, I do kind of like that gladiator sort of idea and the way that Hopper is, he's kind of playing like the, kind of like the Quint character in Jaws. Like he knows what's up, he knows what's going on, and he's informing the the other characters that he's in the prison with that they're wrong and he's right and they're doomed and he's doomed as well. So I really, I like that idea, but... I think in terms of the story and the season being so just so spread across so many different plot threads and so many different things, I am struggling to 
really care about what's going on in Russia. I'm struggling to care about what's going on with Murray and, uh, um, oh God, I, I always forget her name. Um, uh, my own writer, um, Joyce, 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 Joyce. Um, I'm struggling to care about what's happening with Murray and Joyce and Yuri. Um, and it's just, it's a bummer. It's a bummer. And then even I'm getting ahead of myself in the review, but even the, uh, the California crew heading to, to Salt Lake city. I mean, my God, it, it's like, it's a big, big nothing burger of nothing. And it, doesn't satisfy anything. Um, but I'm getting ahead of myself and everything. So, um, the Russian prison thing, I really liked the scene where hop is explaining, you know, that they're doomed and explaining why that explaining that they're not putting them to the test. They're not testing the monster. They're, they're, they're give, they're feeding him. He is like they're they are his bait and everything. Um, because if he gets bored, he's not going to, um, he's not going to eat and he's going to look elsewhere or something like that. I don't know. But that whole plot thread was fine. Whatever the little fight that they have, uh, to try to, at first, it seems like they're trying to manufacture an escape, but it's really so that he can get the lighter and he has the liquor and they're going to use the fire to take down the Demogorgon. Fine. You know, whatever. The problem that I have with this is that it doesn't connect. It has not connected in any significant way to anything that's going on in the season aside from Joyce and Murray which that plot thread also doesn't connect to anything else going on in this in the in the season and it's it's just such a drag because you have all of this stuff going on with 11 which also is a problem for me um and with with Mike and Jonathan and then with the group and Hawkins and everything you have all of these things going on with Vecna and all of this stuff and then we have to kind of just let that sit by the wayside while we do this whole thing with with Hop in Russia and it really feels like it it feels like they they wrote the ending to season three where Hopper is presumed to be disintegrated with the laser to close the gate, whatever. Um, and then they like, obviously it was always going to be that he would come back and he would survive it and everything. Um, because there was obviously that post credit scene in the third season and everything, but it just seems like they, it seems like they just didn't know where they were going to take that. They, it seems like they just, they were like, oh, it, it'll, it'll be cool if Hop, it seems like he's going to be, like, killed. And then we reveal that, oh, he was actually, he actually escaped through the Upside Down and now he is a prisoner in Russia. Isn't that cool? And then I feel like they did that and then they were like, oh, oh, wait, okay, hang on. So season four, now we have to write Hopper in Russia. Okay, what the hell? <laughs> we're going to have to do all of this stuff. And it's just, it feels like a big disservice to David Harbour because he's a, he's a great actor, but it just feels like there's, it feels like there's nothing really for him to play off of, or the stuff that is there to play off of is, is a collection of things and instances and characters and everything that belong in a completely different storyline and a completely different TV show and a completely different property. And because of that, it just drags down the entire season, in my opinion. So 
I don't know. I'm I'm presuming that they're going to have their big fight with the Demogorgon in this episode in the in the next episode. Um, I, I'm assuming that just because it's the end of volume one, but I also know that they released it this way so that uh, they because they had they wanted to have time to finish the visual effects on uh, volume two, and that's so I don't know if there's a thematic reason for them to end uh, volume one here much uh, rather than a production um, reason why, but I guess I'll find out after I watch episode seven. But uh, but yeah, I'm curious, but ultimately I don't know. I don't know why it matters at this point because I'm more I'm I'm much more invested with the Hawkins stuff, which I'll get to. I'll probably save that plot thread for last. But everything else is just secondary and and fairly inconsequential. And it's the same kind of thing that I had a problem with with it. Chapter two, they gave um, they gave the adult losers um, this whole fetch quest to to get these tokens and go through the town and everything and it felt just so uh it's felt so lopsided and and just not really that satisfying and it's the same kind of thing here i mean we have spent this entire season with hop in a russian prison and joyce and murray trying to get him out and that is an interesting enough that's an interesting enough premise on the surface, but it's also something that needs it needs to connect in a significant way to the bigger story of the season because it just can't just exist uh, at the same time as, you know, Eleven regaining her powers and uh, and and, you know, children or teenagers in Hawkins being brutally murdered by Vecna. Like, it can't coexist with that without connecting to it in any significant way. And it's just, it's, I don't know, it's such a, it's just such a drag for me. Something I think would be cool that I just thought of now, though, is if in episode seven, um, when they are preparing to fight the Demogorgon, uh, it would be kind of cool if it's a completely different monster. If it's like a, if it, if it's like Vecna or something, or if it's a completely different monster that has nothing to do with the Demogorgon or anything, or it's a mind flayer or whatever. I don't know. Um, just to throw, throw a wrench in, in the proceedings and everything, I guess, but I don't know. Um, otherwise, uh, connecting to the Russia plot is, Oh yeah, and they didn't really close the loop on that. I'll talk about that later. But um, is Joyce and Murray, and they've crashed in uh, the Russian snow. I, I mean, okay, there are several instances in this episode. There are three that I'm thinking of in particular where it feels like it is. It feels like they should have. Re- I'll say this: it feels like they should have released Volume One with five episodes and spent the time finishing the visual effects for uh six and seven eight and nine that's how i feel like they should have because it felt like just that soundstage green screen effect anytime they were outside um in a place that couldn't be that couldn't uh look like uh midwestern america or what have you so they had like this backdrop of the snowy uh, landscape and everything and it just felt very just not color corrected the the correct way or not uh, lit properly or anything and it just felt very very noticeable and then it also had that had that issue with 
um with Susie when she's on the roof and she's playing with the doing the satellite thing or whatever um that just looked like the, a cheesy backdrop backdrop it looked like a Roland Emmerich movie and Roland Emmerich is notorious for that that crap and it looks it looks bad it looks bad um elsewhere there was a third example of that that I, I'm struggling to remember now Oh, it was in the it was in the boat. Um, yeah, when they were outside and uh, they were in the water, it, it kind of looked uh, a little wonky like that. But but those aside, I I don't know. That's that's a minor minor complaint. But Murray and Joyce um, convince Yuri to come along, I guess, to uh, to infiltrate the prison. Which all of this again, it just doesn't it doesn't connect with the greater story. And also, like I can't. I can't fathom how they're going to pull this off. And that usually is a pretty cool, like, indicator of, you know, it, something that something to be excited about in, in a show. Like, like, oh, I don't know how they're going to actually get through this, this situation and everything. So I, my eyes are glued to the TV. On the contrary, this is a thing where it's like, okay, well, I don't know how they're going to do this, but it doesn't matter because everything that's important is happening in Nevada and happening in Hawkins. So I don't care about this. <laughs> like, obviously they're going to survive. Obviously they're going to get out of it in in one way or the other. They're going to reunite and Hopper is going to get out of it because what other reason would they have to have a a full season of episodes be about Joyce and Hopper trying to reunite there's no way it's going to end in any tragedy or anything like that it's not going to there's nothing there that's going to carry over um if one of them dies or anything there's just nothing nothing that's not going to happen so my emotional investment in it is just not really that strong because I'm just waiting for it to get, I'm waiting for it to connect with the greater plot line. I'm waiting for it to connect to something of significance in this story. And part of that is also the fact that it's, it's so far away. They're in Russia and it's so, so far away from Hawkins and everything going on that there's also that at play. So I don't know. It's frustrating. And I mean, I, Winona Ryder is great, but it felt like she was a little out of her element when she's talking to Yuri Brett Gilman too, because they, they're trying to do this, you know, like hostage negotiation thing or this, uh, this captive, captive person that they have. So that in trying to coerce them into helping them and everything. And the intention is that they don't know what they're doing or that they're in way over their heads. That's the kind of implication and intention of the scene uh, with Yuri, but, and so in that respect, it makes sense for them to play it kind of awkwardly and, and not very seriously, but also, uh, (laughs) it just doesn't come across, it doesn't ring true for me, like, at all, and it's just kind of, it was kind of weird, I, I, at several points in that scene, where Murray and uh, Joyce are trying to convince Yuri to help them and like threatening him and saying that like, oh, I saw a bear and, and, you know, um, and the bear is going to come and get you and everything like that entire time I was sitting there and I was like, what is this show now? Like, (laughs) what is going on? Like this show started as this cool uh, Stephen King ripoff based in a fictionalized small town in Indiana. Um, and it 
it played with genre and it played with some really cool stuff. It was a lot of fun. And then it was very contained to Hawkins and it built this whole mythology around the upside down and Hawkins being an epicenter for it and Hawkins being kind of at at the upside down's mercy and everything and this group of kids that this ragtag group of kids that get together now we're four seasons in and we have characters in freaking russia trying to break other characters out of russian prisons and and like trying to get this smuggler to help aid them after he has betrayed them and everything it's like this is so far out of this is so far past left field that it just doesn't feel like it is it is the same show and sometimes that can be a that can be a blessing that can be a good thing in a tv show uh that runs for you know multiple seasons and everything to reinvent it is pretty cool like that's that's cool to do that but this isn't reinventing it this is just spinning its wheels to get to um to get to a reunion that will eventually just get them back to the back to the states and presumably back to well they would go to california or they would go back to hawkins and then they would be a part of the whole like war or whatever is going to happen um but i just don't care i'm i'm waiting for that to happen but i just don't care at this point um which speaking of the war and hawkins and everything a few episodes ago we had that really cool scene with um owens is that his name? Is that Paul Reiser's name? I think I don't know, but with him in Eleven in the diner, and he's talking about how like okay, yes, a war is coming to Hawkins. You need to protect Hawkins. It's all coming down to this. Vecna is is the big bad, and you need to save him. And all of your friends are going to need to help and everything. And you know, it's a war and everything. And then from there, we get episodes that are built around Eleven having flashbacks and learning the truth about what happened in Hawkins' lab. Which is good backstory to have, but it's also four seasons into the show. It's it feels less like it feels less like a tantalizing piece of plotting that we get um, after waiting patiently since the first season premiered. It feels less like that and more like they are huddled around the room thinking, okay, well, we're four seasons in uh, or we've done three seasons and maybe we should kind of focus on. telling a story about 11 being you know in in hawkins lab uh with papa and learning her powers and like uncover some secret horrible thing that happened um there and it feels like retconning and it feels just like padding the story i get that there's a connection that's probably going to be made that she is a violent person and then she's going like that's why the whole skate uh roller skate to the face thing happened and it's going to ultimately i think my estimation my guess is that she's going to get her powers back and uh she's going to uncover the memory that she murdered all of all of these kids which it's pretty clear that that's the case. I don't know what the circumstances are going to be because I feel like it's going to be something that is going to switch it around um, when we actually reveal it in episode seven um, and and be something we don't expect. At least I hope so because it's very clear that it's just like, oh, she murdered these kids. Um, 
So I don't know. I feel like they're setting it up to where Eleven is going to have this guilt um, about the person she is. And then in season five, she's going to ultimately sacrifice herself, which is fine. Like that's that's a fine character arc to write and everything for this teenage girl. Um, but, uh, but also it's just weird that they're doing this in the fourth season out of five seasons that this show is going to run. Like, I don't, and well, and that's even, maybe that's not fair because they did do the whole kind of backstory sort of thing with Eleven in season two, which that was a, that was a train wreck in my opinion. That was, that just didn't work at all. And now they're doing kind of the same thing, but it's more about Hawkins lab and everything. I just feel like past season one, they have not been able to write Eleven as a as a as an interesting or compelling character, save for season three, which I remember being pretty solid, but mostly because it's it was all the uh, emotional relationship and emotional rift between her and Mike. So I don't know. It just feels it feels like they and and her and Hopper as well. But it just feels like they don't know how to write Eleven or where they're writing her toward or they are writing her towards somewhere that is painfully obvious and going to be just something that, uh, that kind of ends in a, in a whimper, um, in season five when, whenever we get it. So I don't know, that's all conjecture. I don't know, but I don't know. It just feels like it's, it feels again, like spinning wheels. Like it feels like it's spinning its wheels and it just doesn't work for me. And another thing that I did, forgot to mention is that I don't remember what happened to Papa in season one. I don't remember what happened to Matthew Modine's character because I had thought that he was killed. I I don't remember, and I'm too scared to Google it because I don't want to be spoiled on season four. But um, but yeah, but apparently he wasn't killed. Um, so fine, whatever. But uh, but yeah, but I don't know the whole the whole like Nina project or the whole. Uh, uncovering the memories thing. It, it doesn't interest me. Honestly, this is more, I mean, this is at least more in tune with the main plot of the story, but it's also like, okay, we need to run out the clock and get her, get her power, get her to get her powers back. But we're going to do this over several episodes. We're not going to advance her storyline that much each episode. And then eventually she's going to get her powers back and fight Vecna and whatever. Fine, whatever. But it just feels just so... Uh, it just feels like such a slog, such a slog. It's, it's kind of a bummer. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so then let's talk about the California crew and them going to Utah to, to find Susie. This whole sequence, this was a sequence where I was like, what show am I watching? Like, this is, this is so weird the um close knit religious household that she lives in um and you know and the weird like the weird like uh uh cowboys and indians thing or whatever it was the the native american playtime that they were having and the whole contrived way that, oh yeah, well, okay, she can hack into this, which again, this whole plot line where they're trying to hack into this, this like, uh, this internet phone number thing, um, where they're trying to hack into it to get a location to get to 11 is busy work. It is busy storytelling. It is not compelling. It is not advancing the plot. It's just trying to get them to a specific point in a specific amount of time. So they have to pad each episode with just 
contrived thing. So they have to contrive this entire like heist in this massive house with all of these strange kids roaming around kind of out of nowhere uh we get some good comic relief with argyle argyle just immediately falling in love with eden which i thought was very funny and fun but also doesn't really help anything with the main plot it's just it's such a weird it's such a weird uh storyline and such a weird episode this was but uh but yeah so then they contrive a way to like she uh, like her her father got mad because he found out that she changed dustin's grades and dustin's an agnostic so she got her computer taken away and he's always in his he's always working on his computer so they need to do this whole uh this whole diversion uh using all of the kids downstairs so that they can hack in and find the address and everything it is all so convoluted and contrived and just it's it is such a long walk long complicated walk to get an address for something that we learned about like two episodes ago and it's such a drag it is such a drag and when we finally get it and everything it's like okay now now what is going to impede their their um their journey to nevada now they have the coordinates what is going to fall in what is going to get in their way to get to nevada like what's going to happen now um it's just it's so I don't know. And and it was such, like I said, it was such a contrived way that they got to it. It's a bit, it's, it is such a overly complicated and faux suspense, um, sequence just to get to a, just to get to a like hacker archetype or hacker stereotype of like tapping the keyboard and saying we're in, or I'm in like that kind of thing. Ultimately it meant nothing. Um, and in the grand scheme of things, and it's just stuff that just, I, it's, it's so, it's contrived. It's bad writing. It's bad writing. I, I will go, I will, I will go ahead and say it. It is bad writing and they should be ashamed. Um, um, so yeah, so I don't know that, that was just such a, uh, that, that just didn't work. Um, and so I don't know what's in store for them in, uh, the next episode, but it's again, very, very, very much spinning their wheels and it's just not working for me. So, uh, I'm, I might be forgetting another plot thread, but let's just go ahead and dive in, no pun intended, since it's called the dive, let's dive into the Hawkins storyline and the one thread of this season that I actually care about. And I'm going to, I'm going to approach this from two different points. One is the satanic panic thing. I have said since episode one that I'm really, really enjoying the way that the season is kind of taking that into account the uh the kind of um the kind of overreacting um assumption of like satan worshipers and in in communities and stuff and how that's how that's blamed for uh acts of violence and stuff like the way that it the way that it's coming together here is really really satisfying and really good with jason addressing the town kind of bogarting the uh the police um uh kind of uh news conference or whatever or whatever but uh kind of bogarting that and trying to rally the troops to to go and face mob justice or or to do mob justice on uh eddie munson like a on on i'm conflicted on this but on one hand it's really it's it's satisfying it's like i said i really i'm really interested in the satanic panic angle of this season 
And two, it's a really interesting way to kind of um, kind of play with that mob mentality kind of thing. It's a reflection of the, you know, the world we live in today and how, you know, people can be uh, can be compelled to do horrible things or, you know, threaten democracy, whatever. Um, just at the rallying of a, of a, of a, of an uninformed or moronic or <laughs> misguided person. And I just, I like that. I, I kind of like that. The problem, the thing that I'm struggling with, with that is that as much as I enjoy the satanic panic angle, and as much as I enjoy that, like having that bit of texture to the plot and Hawkins and everything, um, it also, it's done to better effect. It, like that kind of, that kind of communal, uh, that communal like delusion is done in to a a much greater and higher effect in Midnight Mass. So, which is another Netflix show, and it's funny because I have long said that oh yes, Stranger Things, it's basically cribbing off of a lot of Stephen King stuff, and um, it is basically it's basically you know, if I, on a, if I'm having a, a, a bad day, I'll call it Stephen King fan fiction. <laughs> but it, it is very much steeped in Stephen King stuff. Midnight Mass is from Mike Flanagan. It's his passion project. He's a huge Stephen King fan. Midnight Mass is like a Stephen King story that isn't written by Stephen King. And he does it in such a way that it is an incredible, it's in, it's an incredible limited series. I absolutely adored Midnight Mass. And now it just seems, and I know that this isn't the case, but it just seems like the Duffer brothers are like, oh, okay, well, we, we love Stephen King and oh, hey, Mike Flanagan, he's kind of, I mean, he's doing the Stephen King thing. Let's, let's crib from, from his stuff. Uh, let's, let's kind of take some stuff from Midnight Mass. Obviously that's not the case, but that's just how I feel. And, and it just feels just so, uh, derivative and, and unoriginal to me. Um, so yeah, so I, I'm kind of a mixed bag on that particular plot line or plot thread. Um, but yeah, so the Hawkins, the Hawkins heroes is what I'll call them, I guess. Um, they, uh, find Eddie and bring Eddie back into the fold and they decide to go investigate where the gate to the upside down, um, is. And as much as I enjoy this plot thread, as much as I enjoy this, particular subplot in this season um i've got to give it a, a ding honestly because again i don't know what the end goal is like i guess their whole their whole goal is oh hey we're going to go into the upside down and we're going to take down vecna and we're going to save the town and and stop all of these kids from dying and everything that's noble that's good all that they found the they found a way to get to the uh, to get to the upside down that's fine um, with the compass and everything. That was cool. I really like the bickering between Dustin and, uh, and um, oh my God, why can't I think of his name? Steve. Um, I really like that and everything. The really cool scene with, with Lucas and Max was really satisfying for, a, for an emotional kind of tether and everything. Um, but ultimately, ultimately, I'm like, okay, what? Like, okay, yeah. So they went out into the, into Lover's Lane uh, or lover's pond and they swam down, saw the gate and now they know where it is and everything. So I guess they can regroup and everything, but again, contrivances, like having, 
Steve just sitting in the sitting in the water waiting for the tentacle to grab him is just it is a it it defies suspense it it makes it so that we're expecting it we know that it's coming and it's just like they're not trying to hide it they're not trying to do anything interesting in the storytelling with it it's just a means to an end it's a means to get Steve into the upside down and then all the rest of them diving in to go after him fine and that's a cool that's a cool setup for the next episode and i'm i'm excited i'm curious what's going to happen and everything but ultimately it just felt just a little a little hokey and and didn't really connect all that well um yeah and then dustin and max and lucas are uh kind of captured by the police and i guess that's really where we ended oh oh where we ended is steve in the upside down being attacked by these little like pterodactyl bat things um and it's you know it's a little it's a little uh creepy and everything and i almost made another joke and i'll go ahead and say it um yeah steve is in uh toadash space being attacked by the toadash monsters and everything because the upside down is is toadash space from the dark tower anyway um in the mist but anyway um <laughs> uh yeah so this was this this episode was a slight level up it was a, it was a slight increase in quality from the previous episode which made me just like it took some of the excitement of the show out of my uh took some of the wind out of my sails for it um this brought it back a little bit i'm 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 hopeful that the connections or that the plot lines will all connect and everything i'm hopeful that that will be the case in the last episode before the final two uh july 1st but um but yeah, but I'm kind of nervous that I'm going to lose more interest. So I'm going to try to watch that uh, seventh episode tonight and uh, get that posted for you guys tomorrow. So um, yeah, yeah, I guess those are my thoughts on episode six, The Dive. Uh, let me know what you thought. And again, if you're listening to this on the main feed, check out Patreon, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Uh, got a lot of bunch of a lot of bunch of really cool stuff on there so and if you're listening to this on patreon thank you once again i really appreciate uh you guys listening and supporting us and everything and uh i'm gonna go ahead and play myself out and uh yeah so i will be back tomorrow hopefully fingers well i'll definitely be back tomorrow with uh my thoughts on the seventh and final episode of stranger things 4 volume one uh so stay tuned for that and uh and yeah so thank you guys so much for listening and i'll see you in the next recording Hello, Patreon, and also Obsessive Viewer listeners as well, because this is um, uh, the end of episode 374 of the Obsessive Viewer podcast. Um, But also, Patreon got this early, which you guys all know that and everything. But anyway, um, I'm here tonight to talk my way through um, episode 7 of Stranger Things 4, titled The Massacre at Hawkins Lab. And as you guys will undoubtedly know, um, I have been kind of hard on the show um, the last couple of episodes, mostly because it just feels so directionless, so derivative, and it has a lot of things that are just not really working for me. And I've got to say that this episode kind of brought it back for me a little bit. Um, There's still some issues with it. There's still some things that I don't really 
necessarily like about the show, <laughs> but it did really, it really held my attention and the way that it brought together certain storylines and plot threads was really satisfying um, satisfying to me because as you guys know, one of my biggest concerns or one of my biggest issues this season has been how everything is so disconnected and so, um, so disconnected <laughs> and not really, um, talking to each other or anything. We have so many different plot threads from different, uh, different areas across the globe in the show. And it's just not, it's not really to my liking. And one of the biggest things that <laughs> I think this episode has going for it is that we do not check in at all with Mike and Jonathan and Will, um, in Utah. And that is a blessing because that storyline was dragging so bad and, was just so dissatisfying. And I think in the last episode or in the last segment, I neglected to mention the FBI agent or the, the government agent that's being um, interrogated and tortured uh, for the whereabouts of Eleven. That's fine. That's interesting. Um, it is, it was, it was done in this episode as well, that this episode shows that uh, he gave, he gave up where she is and made them promise not to hurt her or not to kill her, I think. And that is fine, I guess. Like, that's the only bit of... That's the only connection we have with the the quote-unquote California crew um, in this episode. And again, it just feels like filler. It feels like it's getting from... Getting the plot from one point to the next, and it's just a drag. It's absolutely a drag. Um, but anyway, let's talk about the three main plot threads in this episode of Stranger Things. The um, episode seven, the final episode of volume one. And uh, let's start off by talking about how the episode opens with um, finishing off the cliffhanger of episode six with um, Steve in the Upside Down being, um, you know, attacked by monsters from the mist. Um, so again, just ripping off Stephen King. Um, it's it like, they look exactly like the monsters in, in the mist and it's basically the same idea. Um, but anyway, he's attacked by them and they're like the, the group comes and saves him all that part. Like I, I understand that this is a Netflix show. They have a budget and everything. They have to adhere to a certain budget and everything and certain constraints I mean, granted, but then, then again, Netflix has a ton of money, but it doesn't look that good. <laughs> like the upside down when they're in the upside down after going through the Watergate, which is that, that was such a delight. Um, when Dustin in the last episode referred to it as Watergate and he was so proud of himself. I really enjoyed that. But, um, but yeah, it just looks very sound stagey and very green screeny and it's just, it's not, it wasn't to my liking. Um, <laughs> But the visual effects throughout the rest of the episode were pretty solid and pretty pretty cool and pretty unique, so I can't really complain one way or the other. And from the sound of it, the promotional material or the the Duffer Brothers, their um, their uh, the comments about the final episode, you know, imply or explicitly state that it is going to be like a massive, massive special effects thing. So. That's promising. We'll know more in a couple of days uh, when it's released. But but yeah, so anyway, so this episode, I mean, we get the band back together. We get them all fighting off the 
uh, fighting off the monsters and everything. And again, one of my biggest issues with that plot line in this episode or in this season with these guys, and like this is the most interesting plot line of the entire season. But my biggest issue is that they didn't have a plan. They just went into the upside down. They like it just. I mean, they were going like, what was the point of going out there to confirm that a gate was there if not to go into the upside down and they didn't have a plan to take down Vecna? It's just it's it was silly. But once they're there, they they resolve to get some guns, which I think is pretty cool. It's pretty solid, a uh, pretty solid thing. And then we get the reveal that I thought this was really interesting, that the upside down is not the upside down in real time the upside down is the upside down two years ago from when you know the presumably the gate was first opened or the upside down was first opened um which is really interesting to me and i found that to be really compelling in the way that it just has that time dilation effect which i love in science fiction so i thought that, that was pretty cool um the other thing and i'm gonna kind of bounce around here um the other issue i have <laughs> is the algorithm of it all um and this is indicative of a lot of a lot of netflix stuff that the neck the netflixification of you know peak tv is all about the algorithm netflix has an algorithm like that's why they like the like house of cards was made because the Netflix algorithm dictated that people wanted to watch uh, uh, Kevin uh, or not Kevin. Uh, uh, oh my God, David Fincher movies and Kevin Spacey, I guess. So like that's, it's a thing. And so the Netflix algorithm in this case, it feels like, it feels like there are two things in this season that just feels like, it feels like Netflix went to the Duffer brothers and was like, oh, okay, well, you know, you know, people like this part of the show. So include more of that, meaning Lucas's younger sister. People were like, oh, people loved her in season three. So make her more, give her more stuff to do in season, in season four. And then, you know, because of all of the memification of Barb in season one, um, because of all of that, like they're like oh well you know tie this back in with barb like his people loved barb and that was a thing in season one that i didn't i didn't get like people screaming about oh justice for barb like who who cares um it's just i, I don't know i it wasn't something that i really uh really latched onto or anything but anyway so uh so yeah the algorithm is kind of a thing that i i don't i don't really like when it comes to netflix stuff but anyway um yeah, so they go to try to find guns, and they get to... That's when they find out that the time dilation thing. And I really liked the kind of sense of wonder of them getting out of the Upside Down, or getting, getting kind of finding the other gate, which I'll... I'll let's, let's go back a little bit. The reveal that, like, when Dustin realizes that, oh, the reason, like, like his theory that um, there are different... That the reason that Vecna is killing teenagers and everything is that he's opening gates he's opening gates to the upside down to the to the real world and each each death scene is the site of a gate that's opened i thought that that was really cool that that paid off kind of the ambiguity of vecna's of the vecna curse or vecna's curse the entire like it paid it off very well and this was an episode that was really really strong with payoffs of the different disparate plot threads and everything um across the board really because we get the 
I'll, t- I'll talk about Eleven and everything in a bit, but we get the we kind of get the clear a clear picture of what Vecna is, what his intentions are, what his duty is, and what his what his goal is, his motivations, and that's great because throughout the season he has just been a like Freddy Krueger conduit kind of character, and he's kind of played a little bit second fiddle throughout the season because the show has been so bogged down with different plot lines across the globe and everything, and it's just. It's just it it just hasn't really um really connected with me in any meaningful way throughout the season. But the way that it connected here was very, very um very uh pleasant and uh preferable in terms of the storytelling. The storytelling in this episode, I will go on record and say was very good. Probably the best of the season, in my opinion. And so they have uh the upside down and everything. They're in the upside down trying to find things like I, I kind of like the, the exploration of the upside down in a sense. Um, but it's more, it's more, um, uh, it's made more special by the end of the episode, which I'll talk about. But first I'm going to jump over to the Russia plot line and Hopper is, first of all, Murray and Joyce have arrived at the prison and they are doing the prison transfer thing, prisoner transfer thing. Murray's great. Brett Gelman nails it. Um, but again, that that whole plot thread, even in this episode, just feels very, very uh, it just feels very out of the element, out of the realm of reality in the series. Um, it just feels like it is something completely it feels like it's coming from a completely different show. Like when Murray and Joyce have the Russian guards at gunpoint. I'm sitting there thinking like, are they actually going to shoot them? Like, are they actually going to kill these people? (laughs) Um, It just felt, it felt very uh, TV show, like action heavy stuff that didn't really fit with Stranger Things in my opinion. But Murray did kind of kick some ass and that was pretty fun. But the Demogorgon part of it with Hopper and the prison guard and uh, the other prisoners that I'm I'm back and forth on that because a it seems like it's a regression it's a regression to like the big bad of the first season and it does feel like a little bit it does feel it feels a little bit like the like they're trying to kind of mirror or uh parallel the um the big bad of this season with the Demogorgon from season one, just to kind of show just how advanced it is and everything. So Vecna is a very formidable foe and we see the Demogorgon, which was the big bad of season one and the kind of scale of it throughout the seasons uh, is very apparent here. So that's, that's, it's pretty solid. It's fine. Um, But I, so I'm a little bit, it feels like a little bit of a regression and that's kind of a downside to it, but the action, the fast pace, the quick pace, the gruesomeness, the grisliness of all of the deaths that the Demogorgon does in this episode are just, it's really satisfying. <laughs> it's very cool. It does not shy away from it. It is very gory, very disgusting. And I, I love it. I absolutely, I absolutely loved it. Um, and then we get the, um, we get the, the big, the big finishing part and everything, which is fun um it with with the spear um that was cool yeah and then the um reunion of Joyce and Hopper which I felt like was a little bit undercooked a little bit like there's a moment where like Hopper's in a daze and I love David Harbour but he just felt like he was it, it felt like it wasn't that great of a moment until he started smiling and that was 
it was good. It, it, it worked out well there, but it didn't really tug at the heartstrings or anything like that or carry much emotional resonance for me. Um, mostly because it's pretty clear throughout the entire season that this, it was reaching to this point. Like I never thought that he was going to die or anything. Um, and they drug, they drug it out so, so long throughout the season. So, um, maybe that's why it didn't really connect with me, but I'm curious to see what, uh, is going to happen with them now. Cause we get the, we get the issue of like, what, like, where are they now? What did, what did they do now? Like the main goal of Joyce and Murray this season has been achieved. They got Hopper. Um, so where are they going to go? What are they going to do? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. How are they going to get connected up with the other groups, um, in the show and how is it all going to play out? I don't know. Um, I have a little bit more faith that it'll be more interesting or that it'll come together a little more cleanly just because this episode does tie together several things. And that's when I'm, (laughs) here's where I'm going to talk about, uh, the, the really long, lengthy flashback sequence, um, with Eleven and the titular massacre at, uh, Hawkins lab. And with that, I, I've got to admit, I, I was not a big fan of all of the flashbacks in the, in the season, all leading up to this because, and I think I even said like, it's clear that she's going to be the one that murders all of these kids and everything. And it's going to be a big reveal like that. Or I think I may, I, I don't know, but I, I was also thinking at some point, that like, or maybe they're going to switch it around, but I don't know how. And it wasn't until, uh, until the guy was helping her, um, helping her escape and like tipping her off on how, how to escape and everything that I realized, oh, he's one, he's number one. He's the, he's the, he's the number one guy. He He's number one with the one with a bullet. Um, and that was like, I caught up, I'm not saying that it was predictable or anything, but it kind of was, but I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that, uh, it was not until like that moment that I realized, oh, okay. Yeah. He's, he's one and he's like super powerful and everything. And then it kind of created this cascade effect for me that as it's going through, it's like, oh, he's, he's actually number one. Oh, he's the one that kills all these kids. And then like at that moment I was like, and so she's going to have to find him so that they can team up and take down Vecna. Um, and then immediately I was like, no, wait, maybe he's Vecna. Oh my God. Well, he's Vecna. And then, <laughs> and so I was like stealing myself for 11 to, to throw him back into, or to throw him into the upside down so that he can become Vecna. And then I was like, well, wait, how does that connect with, with Victor Creel and stuff? Cause that can't be right. And then like, right then it's like, oh, he's actually Victor Creel's son. And like, that was the whole thing. I mean, we got kind of a super villain monologue scene from him. That's very overly explaining every, every little detail to put it all together, which is a little bit, a little bit annoying, but I think that the fact that it was tying together so many elements of the story all into one big package was very satisfying to me. It was something that really, really helped. So it didn't matter that to me that it was just an exposition dump because it was tying off all of these loose ends and putting them all together and connecting the overall story this season in ways that I did not expect them to connect at all. Like I, to be frank, I kind of forgot about the whole Victor Creel part of it. Like I completely forgot about like the mystery of Vecna 
killing uh, Creole's family and everything until it was brought up here. And I think that that was a good, like, kind of switcheroo. That was a good um, misdirect for the season. And it also got us the stunt casting of, um, of uh, oh, my God, why can't I think of his name? Wow, Freddy Krueger, why can't I think of his name? Um yeah anyway we got the stunt casting of him which was such a such a delight it was one of the better uh parts of um of the season but anyway the reveal that um the the revealed oh robert england robert england yes thank you jess um (laughs) she's right next to me anyway um so uh yeah oh god i already forgot his name robert england um, anyway, so we got the stunt casting of that and it tied together the, the storylines really well. And having that, having the kind of dual narrative of, um, of, uh, number one of Vecna, I'm just going to call him Vecna telling Eleven all of this history and everything while, while, um, uh, oh God, uh, war, uh, what is her name? Um, uh Mike's sister Nancy Nancy while Nancy is going through the upside down and she's being caught by um she's being caught by Vecna like that was just really cool her wandering through his his house and his history and seeing the visual representation of the exposition that is being dumped out by this character in the in the Nina machine while um, while Eleven is taking her little nap or whatever, or doing her little, um, uh, precog thing from Minority Report, because again, show's kind of derivative. But anyway, um, so, um, yeah, seeing that, that dual narrative aspect was really cool. It was a really good way to kind of just, just really throw all of this new information at us with this visual, uh, in this visual, um, kind of time or visual style. And so that was really interesting and intriguing. Um, when it does do, when Vecna tells uh, Nancy, like, oh, you know, you killed Barb or you're the reason why Barb died and everything, that felt like, it again, it felt like regression. It felt like fan service. It felt like, oh, people really loved the the Barb stuff. That was a meme thing in season one. So let's let's kind of pay homage to that or let's remind people of that because uh where netflix is all in the nostalgia game i guess but i don't know that was it was fine but um so they had uh that just all of all of that information coming together was really great and then we get the kind of big battle between number one and eleven i keep wanting to call him number one i guess i could call him one but technically it's vecna but um anyway we got vecna and eleven in the room and she like it's it's a really cool um it's a really cool scene of these two characters that are that are fight like they they're going at it they're fighting each other um and then we get the kind of personal moment where eleven is about to be killed and then she remembers i okay so <laughs> the visual style of this the the thing that happens is that she remembers being born um or she has a memory of her birth which i don't think it's a memory i think it's just her imagination that she was imagining being born and everything and at this moment i was wondering the way that it was showing and maybe this is the case this could be the case which if it is it's very interesting to me but when we see the shot of her kind of being born her seeing like the 
you know, coming out of the womb and coming out of uh, the womb and everything that <laughs> she's being birthed. The way that it's represented on screen, that hazy, fuzzy, kind of reddish kind of thing, looks like the Upside Down. And what I'm curious about is if they're implying that Eleven, while just absolutely like going full, full Eleven at Vecna, if she created the Upside Down. Because as he's being disintegrated and then the gate opens and he's like thrust into the Upside Down, we know that like... It's we know now through this episode that the upside down is um, I don't know if it's frozen in time. I assume it's frozen in time, but it's a frozen in time from two years ago to when, you know, season one um, Stranger Things. So maybe I, I, I'm assuming that the that the Hawkins lab stuff is like very like right before season one starts so maybe her pushing vecna into the upside down is her creating the upside down as this prison for vecna and creating the upside down as a static moment in time at that point so i'm kind of curious if that's what they're getting at if not maybe i'm just i don't know maybe i'm just talking out of my own upside down but um but it's something that uh that i think i'm i'm kind of intrigued by and i think that that could be an interesting interesting thing if true big if true um so uh yeah but i thought that that was really cool like seeing the actual like kind of disintegration of him was really cool and then the way that the episode ends with the kind of reveal like at that point it's like okay well it's pretty clear what what's going on like he is vecna he's going to turn into vecna but having that be the end of that episode first I can see why they chose to make this the breaking off point for volume one. I was a little nervous that this was going to be like a situation where they just needed time to get the last two episodes like finished in post-production and that the, and that volume one wasn't going to have like a conclusive moment. But I think that this is a great way to end a volume of the season and then bring us into the final two episodes that are going to be massive episodes and fortunately i'm back on board like i mean this season has been a drag for a large portion of the time and it's it's been kind of not really that great for me and it's really made me think a little bit about how i feel about the show as a whole i don't like it that much um <laughs> i don't think it's a very good show to be frank i i think that it's entertaining and it is very much playing on nostalgia for people and it's playing on what is popular in like genre fiction and everything um which is all great and everything but it is also not very original in in its creation and everything so i think that that's i don't know maybe i'm a little harsh on it but i will say that the storytelling in this episode is the one of the first times this season where I felt like this is a very, very good, uh, a good storyline. <laughs> it's a very good storyline. Um, so that's great. Um, yeah, the, the downside of that though, is I, I like that it's just contained to these like two or three separate plot threads, um, and everything like that's great in this episode, but Again, the big problem with the season has been that it is juggling way too many things, way too many locations, and the downside of that is that we get this really cool introduction in, like throughout the season, early in the season, and then it plays out throughout most of the season, that we have the whole satanic panic thing, which is something that I find really interesting in the background, and the last we saw of that was mob rule, like like a mob kind of forming to go after Eddie 
And like, there's no resolution to that. I don't know how they're going to resolve that in the next two episodes, but I'm hoping that it's not something that's just dropped entirely, but I mean, it kind of feels like it could be. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. We'll see in a couple of days. But um, but yeah, so I guess those are my thoughts on the massacre at Hawkins Lab. Um, once again, just thank you guys so much for supporting us on Patreon. And if you're listening to this on the main feed, um, I hope you enjoyed this kind of peek behind the paywall. Um, these, these episodes all went up on Patreon and were exclusive to Patreon until I decided to do this. Um, but, uh, I will say that I'm going to be doing episodes just like this for episodes, uh, eight and nine, the final two episodes, but those are going to stay behind the paywall on Patreon forever. So if you want to pledge $2 or more at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer, you'll have access to those the minute that they post and which I'm hoping to be like July 4th. And, uh, and then, yeah, uh, you'll get a whole bunch of other crap as well. So, um, including my book reviews and book reactions for Stephen King short fiction, um, and a bunch of immediate movie reviews and, uh, all kinds of stuff. So anyway, check that out. Patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. I'm going to go ahead and play myself out. And I just want to say thank you guys once again for supporting us and let me know what you thought about stranger things and my, uh, somewhat coherent, sometimes incoherent thoughts and ramblings about them. Um, so yeah. So anyway, uh, thank you guys so much for listening and, uh, and supporting us and I'll see you in the next recording. This podcast was edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by obsessiveviewer.com. You can find links to all of our shows at obsessiveviewer.com slash podcasts. For exclusive bonus content, including reviews, commentaries, and B-roll episodes, you can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.